and welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. I'm your host, Steve. I'm John. And I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And the music term of the day is Clang. Wait, we're, we're starting with the music yeah, term weird. of the day? What's... Well, because Clang means sound. And we're all about sounds. Wait, Clang means sound. Sound. I thought he was it's a complex villain. one, right? I thought he was not like from in, uh, uh, the newest turtles as well as the old school Krang. 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 No, not no. Krang. More great bad no, guy. No, that's not that's not Krang. No, Krang is I believe something to do with uh, the crow form of martial arts. No, that's Crane. <laughs> no, no, that's not. <laughs> I believe that is actually some sort of large weathery kind of fowl that's got those big, uh, what do they call it, feathers in the back that, that, that spread out really wide. Are we going to trust them on this? I lost. I there, lost. Could be, <laughs> there could be a lot of people listening. Well, yeah, we know that's not true. We There's like five that. people listening, but five we people. appreciate at those least five one, people. At least one of those five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd mention that but clang wait. means sound. Wait, but clang and, uh, is also you know. a sound that pipes make. True. Well, actually, it's good to bring that up because actually it means sound, tone, note, and timbre, which are all things that pipes will make. But so the sound effect, clang, yep. th- that we see in stuff, what's that called? Onomatopoeia when you see Yeah, if you just were to describe it as a, yeah. So it, it, it's born out of the word clang no, that actually means something? No, it's German, so- and, it's, and we, when we say clang, we are borrowing from the German. Oh. oh, but so not in the, the word... way you, you think, because actually, if you're English, then clang is used to denote the chord of nature. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, you lost me on that one. The chord of nature. What? Particularly in mistaken reference to the Romanian and Shinkarian theories. Romani? Uh, R- R- Riemannian. Riemann. Uh, named after uh, Hugo Riemann. Okay. And Shinkarian named after Heinrich Schenker. Oh, okay. They're, I get it now. They're theorists. You don't I get know it your now. theorists? I think I should spend more time you, on Wikipedia in the music to, section. That's what I'm yeah, reading I, from, incidentally. My theorists are more Markiplier and MatPat. Actually, mine are more just scientists. Like that's <laughs> They're enough. the guys that do the theories. I like how it's just scientists, because yeah, no. you can actually think of Neil deGrasse Tyson or Bill Nye or... Well, Bill Nye's not a theorist. That's true. He's he's in a more he's explanatory. A scientist. But scientists can theorize. It all starts with scientist. a theory. True. I was you know more. he's getting his own Netflix series, Bill Nye. I did hear that. Yes. Bill Nye Very teaches excited. the world. Is that yeah. The name of it? yeah no, Bill Nye saves the world. Bill Nye saves the world. Which even is, better. Yeah. Even and well, probably more accurate. Anyway, I don't think you understood the rest of that, so I'm gonna be comfortable if you just use it as sound continuously. All right. Just so keep the doing clang that. of so this particular piece. The clang of the guitar. Yeah. 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 Incorporate that into your, but your it, crash chords. You say the sound of nature, vocab. or the the chord of nature, or what was the what was the exact word? The chord the of chord nature. Of, the chord of nature. So that's the sound of naturalness. And a chord of three notes or three clangs is called the driklang. I'm so sorry, literally a three clang. Um, yes, a three clang chord. It's, sure. it's a three clang is a three clang. Am, am I expanding your vocabulary or diminishing it? <laughs> Depends on the day. You're more redefining certain words, but that's not that's that's not really expansion so oh. much as as annotating. You're annotating my vocabulary. Should we begin? Please. <laughs> we can. We have today a listener pick, and that listener is the one, the only mysterious Mark H. See, he's the only one that gets to be mysterious. We have other, uh, actually, every single one of our devoted listeners has a nickname, though. That's true. Jose, Jose a... Knockjaw, Heather S., Wildflower Fever, and Star F is just always his nickname. Well, yes, that's not, his name is actually Alex Alverson, I believe. There you go. 
but he goes by Star F. Yeah, because that's his rap user, name. It's user. He owns it. Username in our case because he's a user on our website. Well, Mysterious is starting to own his nickname. That's true, as we know very little about him. Always mysterious. Also, there's another thing that's kind of mysterious about him. He has consistently recommended albums every 13 months. Consistently. 13 months. This is his third album. He recommended the first in episode 128. That was Black Messiah by D'Angelo and the Vanguard in January of 2015. The next album he recommended was FFS by FFS in episode 181, which aired in February of 2016. And here it is, March of 2017, 13 months later. What's up, Mysterious? What's up? It's Maybe a, he has a 13-month hibernation period. <laughs> that's how he listens to all of our episodes, just playing while he's hibernating? Maybe some sort of... Uh, <laughs> he just comes out. <laughs> no, no, maybe it's some sort of Illuminati Mystery Shack kind of a thing going on right there. Like, that might be it. I'm, anyway. speaking, I'm speaking to Matt, because I know you don't know Mystery Shack. But you know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, yes. Yeah, like, yeah. Anyway. Maybe, he's, maybe he's the all-seeing eye. God, I hope not. Yeah, he's, that's a troublemaker. The all-seeing mysterious eye. Mysterious Mark H. That's that's a much longer title. Yeah. Well, yes. that's an actual title instead of just a handle or that's a username true. or a name. We could theorize about Mysterious all day. Let's instead go on something we can kind of understand. And only kind of, even then. And that is his album that he's recommending, and that is Headspace by Issues. So we need to get in the headspace of this particular album. Ha. <laughs> ha. <laughs> and it is, of course, a metalcore album. Or Ish. metal-ish. New metal-ish. Also hardcore. Also, a lot of other things. R&B, pop, rock. I mean, punk. the list goes on. Punk. Punk. Definite punk. All right. Well, as I started to mention at the end of last week's episode, there is a reason or kind of a thesis behind him bringing on this episode. It had to do with our discussion at the end of two episodes ago now, at the end of Oxymelody by Flaming Lips. And we were having a little discussion, the three of us, on kinds of albums that have changed our perception over time. Things that maybe we judge too harshly or things that maybe we'd like to see in the future because sometimes <laughs> albums can surprise you. So I guess John specifically had put out a little call to listeners to say, hey, look, maybe you should give us something middle road or something that you're not decided on. I can only theorize that that's what Mark meant behind his comment on the post in that particular episode. At least we think. We think. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, my theory is that he wants to give us what for in whatever way he can. He keeps giving us what for. That's also true. What for and wherefore? And henceforth. But why all the whys and wherefores? That's what I have to ask you. Well, I think that, in all seriousness, I think Mark chose this because he knows what we do. He's intimate with our process. He's suggested many an album at this point. And I think he wants to see how we handle something that he doesn't laud. Something that he might not be... I think you're right. I think if he's unsure on how to feel about this album, wants to see how we deal with that conundrum. I think he also knows our taste pretty well, or at least our preferences for what we like to choose. Because as I mentioned last week... This was on the short list. In fact, it's not my next pick. It wouldn't have been, but it was going to be the one following it. I was. I will point that out there, which means that I actually have to start looking again, and I don't really feel like doing it because of the first time I was actually ahead. Well, see, we're already splitting apart a little bit because I think actually I, this is not something I would have just put in my tastes. Actually, I think maybe he could have recommended it based on him thinking that it's not in our taste at all. Well, I wouldn't because say... it, it's not something that we typically look at in the show. We haven't done a lot of metalcore. Maybe the most metalcore we've ever done was very early in the series. And it was mostly both of your guys. Ever since then, we've kind of collectively fallen into a pattern of liking more theatrical-based music, which was the premise for him recommending FFS back in episode 181. Yeah, but I don't know if I quite understand what you like anymore. I mean, I brought Dan Bull on the show <laughs> for sure thinking you'd hate it because it was funny compressed. and rappy. And you loved it, so I don't know what the ups, down, left is right, 
dogs and cats living in harmony. I just don't know. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. Thank you. That was the last one I forgot. Yeah, there you go. It's funny. We bring up bands that we would have listened to in high school is the thing we like to say. But truly, this is the kind of music I was listening to high school. I was big into Slipknot. I was big into... Uh, you know, uh, taking back Sunday, I was like, it, I ran the gamut of different kinds of hardcore, punk, rock, heavy metal bands. I like Disturbed, Godsmack, and so this is, would have been right in that kind of vein for me at that time. Yeah, and various parts of it actually do cross over with my taste. This is why it's really not. It's not so simple to simply classify this as some kind of new metal hardcore band. It's it's no, it's, it's definitely it's, more. Than it's, we're gonna get into it, and I'll just leave it at that. I guess the best place to get into it is uh, with the album art because yes. we don't really know very much about the band itself. They're called Issues, and this is their second full-length album. It is called Headspace, and the band members consist of Tyler Carter, Michael Bone, Joss Manuel, Skylar Acord, AJ Rebello, formerly including Ben Ferris, Corey Ferris, Ty Scout Acord, Jake Vinston, and Case Nettiger. We don't get names like that very often. No, it's they, true. Where is their show? Where is their sitcom or, or primetime drama? Tyler, Michael, Josh, Skylar, and AJ. I hate to say it, but that's kind of a generic boy band lineup right there. Kind of is. It does sound like it. Yeah. Apparently they had a falling out with Ben, Corey, Ty, Jake, and Case. Case? Just Case? Case. That's kind of cool. K-A-S-E? No. No, like Case, like a, like a file. C-A-S-E. Or the Weird. company that does a lot of shipping. There's a company called Case? Yeah, I got memorabilia in my store. Oh, right, of course. You do. But anyway, can we? Well, I guess we're going to go back on topic now. <laughs> well, yeah, we can go back uh, to, to the, the album we cover. We can go wherever you want to go. Album cover. I do want to talk about the album cover this week because I notice a similarity with this piece of album art and other styles of metal. Specifically, I, I noticed over the years, uh, not just metal, but uh, some other progressive and some other experimental type of music, especially from the 70s and 80s, uh, black background. Center logo right in the middle of some sort to represent the band or represent the album itself. Those tend to be kind of simplistic. This went the opposite route. White background, center, very centered, very complicated, at least for an album piece of artwork of uh, a pigeon. Like, instead of going (laughs) serious... It's a complex pigeon. Well, it's very well detailed. They're very colorful. That's also very geometrical. You got a circle inside a hexagon, inside another hexagon, inside a circle, which with, is with various little protuberances. Which is where I'm going to make those uh, similarities actually show up, because a lot of metal albums will have some sort of iconography or pictogram right in the middle that is very geometrical. It might not actually be like split along an axis or something like that, where it flips on top of itself, but it would be something that's either a lot of curves or a lot of angles. And a lot of times, a picture inside of a picture inside of a picture with the concentric design work in it. Ah, uh, yes. And actually, I'm just it's coming back to me that the last time we did uh, an album, there's really not anywhere quite near this genre, but there's some crossover, maybe just the word metal itself, completely different area. Him, Tears on Tape, had more pentagon shape in the middle. Yes. Yeah, so very, very similar very, to everything very you just described. More and of a dark colored theme like you described. With the combination of just the theme work of the album that I noticed and the heavy use of colors because there's not just the pigeon which 
I like the pigeon. Nice choice, just of something that's kind of out of left field, but also nice shade of blue. Yeah, the, the also the working in of the peacock feather kind of yes, eyeballs. That's what I was thinking because of the color. It's not. I mean, I feel like this is a common color of a pigeon. We normally see gray, drab, dirty pigeons in New well, York. We're New York. Yeah, but there, I think there is a pigeon that has this color, or like it's a gender thing. I don't know enough about birds, but you think you see that color, you immediately think peacock, especially because of the feathers that are sort of swooping out on the eyeball-shaped things that are surrounding the pigeon. That's where I get, pe- that's where I get peacock from, yeah. There you go. I do want to speak to something John was saying, though, about, you know, following patterns and reminding him of other album covers. While this may be against what you're used to seeing for metal and rock records, for most modern albums, I do see a lot of this kind of simplistic iconography on a white background. A lot of pop punk, a lot of modern rock and indie have album covers like that that are kind of brighter with some pale colors. And so I feel like this is kind of indicative of the kind of stuff that we're going to get when we actually talk about the music. Yeah, it felt because like the there f- is this kind of melding of stylistic choices. Yeah, and I mean, even just to think about the title of the album, Headspace, you really, you just need something that draws the eye a little bit. Yeah. Just enough to, well, you have a pigeon sitting there. Bird's got a lot to think about. Just an introspective pigeon sitting on a branch. Something to focus on. Or, in this case, something to focus behind him. He's focusing out, out into the world. It's focusing the greater on you. world beyond him. He's focusing on you as you look at the cover. No, off to my right. No, no, no. They have uh, side vision. Oh, he has to turn his head in order to see me. Yep. I can't yep. think of you. Yep, it's actually focusing one eye. They have a weird kind of vision, but you could look it up on Wikipedia. All right. It's what makes them like dinosaurs. It's fine. All right, I'd say we pulled that album cover out of our ass very well. Yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> I say this is a great transition to go into what the actual first track is on about. And so, first track of this album is called. The Realist. Yeah, that's the title. You didn't mishear me. It's called <clears throat> The Realist. We've had no. a few too many albums that had track titles that maybe oversold the tracks a little bit. I'm okay with titles that are just like, oh, come on. And then it can all be uphill from there. But I do want to ask, which way are you taking it? Because there's The Realist, as in your slang using the word real and adding EST, or realist as in somebody who sees the world as it really is except the realist like that is spelled ist not est so well, it's not that one considering they spell young and dumb in a very specific way later on in this album i wouldn't put it past them fair enough but i don't think that's intended here actually, when there's an actual grammatic connection it actually kind of reminded me of the richest that uh the youtube listicle website that our uh, friend and former guest Katie Delaney currently works for. That's fair enough. I actually can see your brain going that way. I mean, it's actually the same amount of letters. The richest. Or similar amount of letters. No, same amount of letters. I'm sticking with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a little bit of a rant on this track. And I have a rant on the genre. You have a rant? I gotta save my rants for someplace. If I don't have them on the band as a whole, I gotta have them here. Fair enough. Uh, all right, so there. what do we think of the album as a whole? We're not gonna get anywhere near that, but I will get toward biases. There are some things about the intro itself, just the 18-second intro here, that I was a little biased towards. This was branded, like I said, as new metal, metalcore. Uh, but there are often very a lot of crossovers there between that and prog music. And as we've discussed before, prog is more of a form and a style than it is a genre. But if there was a genre, it favored predominantly. If prog favored a genre among all of those others, it would definitely be metal. And that's because prog guys like energy, and metal has energy, which often inspires metal artists to incorporate proggier elements and prog rock guys to incorporate metal. 
metal elements and so forth. Point being, the line there is frequently blurred and oftentimes simply invisible. So if I were to judge from the first 18 seconds of this track, I would say, oh, cool, progressive metal. That's what we're going to get in this album. And that's because it's an interesting 18 seconds of material, and it shows a lot of their personality all within those 18 seconds. First, just let's look at the first 10 of the 18 seconds. It's this warm, direct bass input and a direct guitar input, I believe, both kind of interesting in their own right, kind of almost like a funky lick to them. But then it's held down by these harsher, more clipped, distorted power guitars in the background. That's, that's your riff, and it's kind of a little more boring than the warm funky stuff, but that's okay because this is only 10 seconds of those 18 seconds and then we change it up. So enter intro stage two, the next eight seconds, which is this skillful segue, I thought, into this more rapid fire drums which supplant the power guitars. And meanwhile, the lead guitar steps in. This is a new instrument and it steps in with an extremely prog metal speed lick. Lots of finesse there between where he plays staccato and then when he uses pull-offs. So you got a little bit of slur there and then you got a little bit of a short thing. It's it's not a new style by any stretch and it's certainly not the end of the story as far as this, this uh, intro track and album are concerned. But that's why I said at the outset, I'm biased. This stuff can at least hold my attention for a while, despite that it might be a little bit cliched by 2017, because at least, number one, it exhibits a crap ton of talent, and number two, it also channels this certain mopey but cathartic mood that I just kind of dig. It puts me in a in the warm place that I need to be in, and also I have good memories associated with it, unlike perhaps what I said about maybe something corporate at the top of last week's episode, you know, which I was just kind of like very middle of the road on, so so, yeah, for 18 seconds, at least, it was in my favor. It was a pro-bias. Wow. That's a mouthful. Yeah. About right. 18 seconds. Yeah. Since Steve is covering in-depth the instrumentation, at least in this early moment, I do want to take a moment to talk about the early vocals on this track. As we get one of the two main vocalists on this album, Michael Bond, who tends to do the more aggressive stuff on the record, screaming, yelling kind of uh, spoken at moments, although both of them do spoken and rap in the album as a whole. But I like it, Michael Bone, but that's okay. I, I think you're, it's you're probably I'm right. probably right. I, 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 it's an <laughs> artistic H. license with his name. Right. <laughs> that's what I did. Um, but, you know, this catches me off guard a little bit. I mean, I'm not unfamiliar with this kind of singing, but I wasn't expecting it for the instrumentation because based on what Steve really in-depth described, I was expecting something a little more melodic to start. And it wasn't. It was a little more aggressive, a little more in your face. Yeah. They, well, the instruments also get a lot more aggressive after that 18-second monstrosity that Steve made it out to be. <laughs> well, it becomes a lot more halting, a lot more in your face, uh, definitely a lot heavier on the attack side of the instruments themselves. So it works with the vocals. I like the screaming. I'm not against it. It's not something that's really... I'm, I'm not, I haven't been exposed to it in a while, on this show at least, so it's something a little bit new, a little bit refreshing, and it was one of the reasons why I was thinking of bringing this band on, because it is something different. It's something we don't approach too often. Well, again, that's another area where we can only theorize. We don't know if uh, Mark had listened to any of our episodes where we actually discussed, I think we had a, a devoted topic at some point to whether screaming, you know, is actually, actually aids the music, whether it has inherent musicality, period. Yeah, I believe we brought it up, wasn't that on the Huntress episode? 
Yes, that may very well have been the Huntress episode. I'll correct that in the comments if not. Uh, <laughs> but but we, let, we also, actually in one of your picks, John, uh, Coma Ecliptic by Between the Buried and Me, we had a fairly big discussion on it because that was another album, episode 156, where we went back and forth between a devoted, you know, a singer, a singer who was mm-hmm. singing, and then a screamer. Who was and, screaming. Uh, who was screaming. <laughs> and in this case, I'm I'm all for it. I'm pro because it feels, it feels good. The content may not be the best in the world. I'm not a big fan of the lyrics so far but i did enjoy the aggressive nature of the music marrying very well to the aggressive nature of the vocalist that was going on i was kind of indifferent at this point i didn't dislike it but i tend to like screaming when it's punctuating something and here it just felt more uh, authoritative and assaulting because it's the whole verse right but after that we do get the pre-chorus and chorus which is tyler carter who is the other vocalist who does more of the melodic stuff uh does some of the spoken stuff as well, but he leans more towards a kind of melodic R&B or pop sound. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but just to sort of fill out the trifecta here, I set up what I set up in the 18 seconds basically to indicate that as of the screaming, I was pretty thrown. Yeah. It's not, because that's the opposite side. It's not, yeah. it's, I have a bias against it. I, I think I've made that fairly clear on the show, but again, context is always what matters. In this case, it's just because it had followed so closely something that I really, really loved, and it was just a little bit of a tough nut to swallow. Screaming is not exactly how I'd characterize this. We will probably keep calling it that because that's just kind of our go-to word. But it's really a little bit more spoken. It's not as forceful. It's not at the top of his lungs. Um, And because it has a little bit of a cadence to it, you know, it does kind of hint a little bit more towards the rap side of things, which made me think it's somewhere in the rap rock territory, even though that's a whole nother thing to itself. But it's not quite screaming. It's not quite rap rock. It certainly isn't singing. And yet, I feel like I know this style all too well. Kind of like what you said before, Matt. This is uh, something I'm familiar with growing up. It's not, it wasn't my style, but I think actually rap rock is the closest description I have for this. There's something about the meter and the emphasis. There was more of a forcefulness, obviously, more so than rap, and it's considerably angrier. And that's a weird spectrum of emotions when you come to think of it. When you add up the intro stage one to intro stage two, and now the verse, you have funky, mopey, angry. So... Props for diversity, but we're a little bit scatterbrained at this moment, and it removed me from the music a little bit, and that was more my problem. Well, I think I can sort of start pinning down where you may have heard this before, because it did remind me almost, not intrinsically, but as sort of like an aside, that I feel like he's drawing on someone like David Draymond from Disturbed, the lead vocalist, who was well known for his ability to pivot from, you know, nice slow croons to that really heavy... Definitely on the screamier side, but it did still have a a bit of a meter to it. He still had a little bit of that rap rock kind of a feel to it when he was singing along because he kept the melody when he was screaming along. And I think that actually personifies the fact that we get a secondary voice or not a secondary voice, more of a counterpoint voice to it uh, in Tyler Carter when he comes in with the pre-chorus. It feels like they're both trying to do Drainman's job. One's doing the high end, one's doing the croon end. So I was totally for this. I love Disturbed. I love that juxtaposition between the two different identical voice ideas in their music. So this is really 
it's really up my alley. Well, the fact that there's an opposing vocalist to the screaming, I mean, that would, would have been really abrasive if the entire album was screaming. So I knew there was going to be some kind of opposition. Uh, the question is, what kind? And that's where this gets kind of interesting, because, all right, this is 36 seconds into the song by the time we get to the pre-chorus, and it is truly singing. And it it's extremely melodic, yet with a kind of whiny twang. Very direct, again, into the, right into the microphone, and not much space or reverb on this track at all. But this is so much more pleasant than the angry part. We we can add tender to that list of emotions. Funky, mopey, angry, and tender. Which is still a very strange spectrum, but I was kind of liking the full flushed out nature of this, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I was especially happy that the... The funky mopey in the beginning, especially the way the guitar was displayed in the very beginning, and it shows up in the chorus as sort of like a complementing element. I feel like it was actually throwing back a little bit to what was introduced to us in this album. So it didn't just feel tender, it felt still a little bit more aggressive because of that. I can't quite say aggressive. I still would retain that for just the screaming. But I can say that there is a jolt every single time you hear a new voice. But like, if it goes back to the screaming, there's a jolt there, being like, you didn't expect that. If it goes even right back to the tender singing, then there's a jolt there, didn't expect that. There's always a, a little bit of a threshold for, for digestion here. But then, usually after you sit in it for just a little while, and you do get to sit with this vocalist from the pre-chorus into the chorus, then I start being drawn back into the music, and I'm no longer removed from it. So, also, at the same time here, musically, we start seeing a lot more connectivity. It's not just jumping all around, it's not just halting. We bring back the power chord as the backdrop for this pre-chorus, and then in the chorus, you start getting that that speed guitar lick that, yeah. that was, like I was phenomenal. Saying, it, and it does a lot to bring everything together, and it, it does a lot to... That's where that aggression, I feel like, is still showing up. Yeah. I, that's where I think it still feels like, maybe not aggression, but just confidence. Like, the voice is a croon, almost. It is... It's Coed and Cambria. Like, it's, it's really, like, reaching. It's very airy for everything else that's going on. But that guitar does a lot to marry it to everything else because it plays around with the vocals. It's actually complementing it. Even though it's a speed guitar, you wouldn't think the two would mesh too well together, but it does. And it makes the kind of passive nature of the voice, by comparison, feel like it does have a lot more power than it may have in a different setting. Mm. So we're on the upside of this parabola so far. Yeah, I think my only issue with the screaming, I think, as a whole is that... It doesn't feel super integrated with the other vocals to me. I feel like what Steve's saying, and I kind of agree with him, is that because I can focus more on the music during the more melodic stuff and during the screaming, I tend to be a little more distracted due to that jolt. I think it's not necessarily doing me any favors. That said, again, I don't hate it. I think I've listened to plenty of bands who do a ton of screaming. I think just in this first track, I wanted to hear more consistency in the music because I liked what the music was doing and the screaming was kind of ruining that a little See, bit for me. I got all of that consistency and the screaming did actually not ruin that in the slightest. Mm. I got all of that consistency, which is why I think it may have taken me a couple of listens to mm. this track, but I warmed up to it considerably. I think that actually this was a really, really strong intro to the album. There are other things that maybe could have supplanted it. You might run into the issue later on of whether there simply could have been another track in their style that could have also served as the as the intro because it, it's not that this is, I want to stress, it's not that this is a new style. It has been 
kind of done, but they have a, a, a twist on it, a different flavor, so much that the lead singer, Tyler Carter, his inflection juxtaposes the screaming in uh, a, a way that's unique enough that every, you are almost jolted to the point of it, it became a positive in the long run. I think... Yes, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think there are better examples of it later in the album, which is why I like it less here, having listened to it many times. I will in defense. I will agree that there that there's definitely a better juxtaposition between those yeah. two vocals later in the album. But one thing here that I think actually does a lot to still cement it as a great introduction, and might be. Yeah, we might be able to shuffle it up and choose a different one, but this track, I think, does a lot because we get a lot of identity in the guitar work. We get a lot of identity in the drum work and the bass. That's one thing we haven't really touched upon. The bass held it down. It was on point in this track. That's the stuff I actually really want to get to, which is why you know this track probably ended up being one of my favorites, and I admit that that may just be because it's the earliest track in the album. You know, it's, it's introducing me to the style. There's other gems to follow for sure, but... The later parts of this, let me just go through a couple things that I really, really like. Apart from just the chorus and the way it kind of brought back in uh, both the speed guitar and also some really nice piano chords in the background, just shuffling up the texture especially a little bit. Especially the second chorus, especially yeah, where it was Especially shaking. the second chorus. It makes it less seem like the wall of sound that some of those, you know, power chords can seem like. But let me just add two things that I did not like about this track right before we go through kind of a laundry list of things I really, really do like. If we get over the hump that this is or is not in our in our tastes, then I, this is just a couple things that I could say fairly objectively. There was an odd thing between the pre-chorus and the chorus, where the first time we hear his vocals in the chorus, there is a little bit of another step taken, a, a, more of an extreme in uh, the harshness of that direct, crisp approach of his vocals, more crisper than even the first time when we heard them in the pre-chorus, which I thought was a bit of an odd production choice. Um, that then it's weird because I gradually began to enjoy Enjoy the fact that he was kind of exaggerating those things on successive listens, but it's really a tough, it's a tough one again for the first time you listen, but just keep on listening because maybe it'll get better. Um, apart from that, yeah, really liked the chorus almost through and through, which brings me to the second thing that I didn't really like, and that was the return of the verse. Um, not simply because it was screaming, in fact, it was approached kind of differently. It wasn't as angry as the first time Michael Bond sang that that first verse, but it's also nowhere near as tender as the way Tyler Carter sang the pre-chorus. So it's, it's kind of a weird middle ground. In fact, that's one of the reasons I didn't like it. I didn't like it because it lacked emotion. It lacked musicality on top of it. I, I know that's kind of a cop-out, but it's just his manner of just kind of forcefully not quite screaming indiscriminately, which may also have to do with the placement of how he reinterpreted the second verse and made it feel kind of like something different than the first verse. Normally that kind of progression would be a positive, but something about this just almost made it feel shooed in, like the, the chorus really begged something better to follow. So that's the second thing that I didn't really like. Beyond that, it really gets better. Well, there, there's just one nitpick that I did have on top of those two, and that is particularly the final chorus has a very tried and true pause and rebuild in the music, which is something that I harped on to uh, no yeah. end Actually, last that's, week. That's a good three. Uh, that's one thing I do want to complain about, specifically because I'm going to talk about how they did it so much better later on in the album. Preview this week, they didn't make the same mistake in every song. Right, but before that moment, we do get the bridge first. Bridge, which leads to also, after that, my favorite moment. But we'll, we'll start with the bridge first, because there is 
vocals in the bridge, and we got a lot of that last week as well. Yeah. A lot of kind of vocal and melody leading into the bridge. Almost like an extra rendition of a chorus or a verse last week. But this week is just simple. Oh yeah, you're a waste of space in my head. Hey, hey, you're a waste of space in my head. Almost an uh, um, allusion to a title track, even though we don't have one this week. Well, the reason I see fit to bring up the bridge is because actually this was sort of a belated tie-in of more musical material. Like mm -hmm. in the same way we brought in that intro stage two, in uh, the chorus just a little while ago. Well, this brings back intro stage one, finally. Finally, we're brought back to that that funky intro of the first 10 seconds. And it, it enters when the bridge here, and actually that really made this whole track kind of seem very tied together. There was no, there was no waste of, of uh, musical material at all. Nothing was thrown away. It seemed at first like it was gonna be thrown away, and it's very possible that these may have been afterthoughts, but whatever if they were afterthoughts, they were well integrated at the end. Yeah, and I think that they're showing off their musicality, which is something that was a little lacking last week. As much as I enjoyed a lot of the stuff we heard, at the end of the day, it was kind of samey. Whereas here, we are getting variety, which I do appreciate. And the high point of this variety is the instrumental right after those bridge lines of the slap bass. Yeah. <laughs> it was just one out of left field. Track one, okay, maybe our expectations aren't too firm yet, but it, it feels a little bit out of left field, and I love it for it because it meshes so well. Well, well what I like I, about again, it... juxtaposing can be good, you know? <laughs> well, right. What I like about it is in a lot of rock, uh, especially cliche and tired rock and roll songs, is the bass, if it steps out, it steps out, but, you know, just to kind of be louder, it doesn't really play. This slap bass was playful, and it was kind of almost to the opposite effect of some of the other instrumentation we had heard, but I think that's what made it stand out. I think what's made it engaging as well. Yeah, it's like when we heard the stuttered stuff during verse one, that's not so much playful as it is a little bit abrasive. He's right. trying to kind of dodge you in the same way the screaming is kind of trying to dodge you. And this, it's it's doing the opposite. It's just bringing you in. It's actively trying to find something uh, that appeals. And the rest of the song tends to do exactly that. You know, we get a return of the chorus. I already said I love the chorus, and when they repeated it a second time, I enjoyed that as well. Um, also, the R&B approach of his singing starts to get really exaggerated, or at least this is when I started noticing it more so, about how R&B his vocals really tend to get during those choruses and the pre-choruses. Um, it just, it's just sort of previewing what we're going to get later on the album, but I noticed it as early as this. Uh, so yeah, this was a surprise, but I really grew to love this track, and nothing more than the outro itself. Because the outro, true to Prague, the rhythm here is really fantastic, and I don't think it ever leaves full. It, it, they might count it in 8 or maybe even in 16 or even change up the grouping, but it, it's all besides the point because what's most gripping here in this outro is the accents. And this is what I love most about this track is this outro they could have done it for twice the length, three times the length, I would have loved it just as much. The accents fall in a very interesting place. If you're counting it in, in 4, then there would be this accent mark just a 16th note behind the third beat, right? So really the 4th, 16th note of the second beat. Um, so just one behind the three, because it's easier to say it that way, and then one behind the very next beat one, and then one behind the very next beat three, but then we skip the very next beat one, and then we repeat that pattern over and over again. Beat three, beat one, beat three. But again, always a 16th note just behind each and every one of those beats, but then 
skip the next one. That's a very interesting pattern. It took me a while to figure out that that's exactly what it was doing, but it makes for it, it makes it seem like they're changing time signature, and I l absolutely love bands that take that approach. Yeah, I'd say my final thought on this track is just that. Again, the screaming to me seemed a little out of place. Um, I know that I'm in the minority here, but I've listened to plenty of bands that have screaming that I have liked, and I think here it just still kind of rubbed me the wrong way. That said, my opinion does shift as the album goes on. Well, if Mark's point in behind this whole project was to sort of shake up our expectations a little bit, then I guess that's exactly what he did to you because you tend to like screaming more yeah. and here you're on the opposite side and I don't tend to like screaming at all and yet I feel there was enough musical material here that it kind of validated it or at least worked around it so much that that wasn't my, that wasn't a giant blight on this track in yeah, any way. Yeah, and I wouldn't say it was a giant blight for me either. It was just definitely something worth noting that I didn't like and I didn't think worked. Let's get into something a little bit different. At long last, let's go to track two, Home Soon. This begins, first of all, with a much muddier bass sound. Mm -hmm. uh, it, the song hits the ground running, as Matt loves to say. I do. Um, and the, there's sort of this long, airy drum roll that mm -hmm. brings us out of this moody, energetic intro. It's energetic, but it's moody at the same time. And there's certainly reverb in this track, as opposed to last track, where we had relatively none. Now, the verses bring in, this time no longer uh, Michael Bond, at this time Tyler Carter. So he's in the verses now, and I'm really starting to like this vocalist. I don't yet know whether the overall style of this is in my taste yet, or rather I'm conveying to the listeners that I that, that's what I was feeling towards this album real time when I first heard it. I'm a little bit more sure of my opinions now, but as at this point when I first played the album, I was thoroughly thrown back to the mood or the style of the mood of the style of prog, not so much prog the genre, but more specifically post-rock, and yet through the lens of early 2000s emo, because that's more what the, the vocalist is doing for me. So it's, a again, a weird changing of perceptions. It's the, a, a familiar backdrop with uh, using tools and instruments that were generally not in my wheelhouse, not something that I would go back toward, but yet I still have memories from. So that's what this track is accomplishing for me so far. Yeah, for me, I... I mean, I, I do want to speak to stuff you mentioned in the intro first. I did really love the drum work here. I took note of it, whereas in the previous track, the drum work was just kind of there, like in most metal albums. Like, to be an average metal drummer, you have to be an incredible anything else drummer. True. So, but, you know, the mix and the kind of almost astral or ethereal feeling they're going for here is interesting because it's not uh, super obvious at first based on the tones that were given in the early parts of the song. The drum work and the rhythm guitar. It's the rhythm guitar that I think actually meshes it well together with the uh, croon work. Having just that drums with the croon would be hard to pair them. I mean, you would have to be really kowtowing to the rhythm itself in order to actually have those beats work well with the vocalist. But the guitar really flowing through and breaking up just the heavy drums did a lot to make... Well, Steve's problems of two very different set of tools work well together. And I see where you're coming from, Steve. Because I am i don't know if I'm getting a post-rock feel, or I don't know what I'm feeling with the vocalist. Just from the backdrop, just from the... Uh... I don't know what I'm feeling with the vocalist, but I want to pin it down as pop. 
as straight up early uh. early aughts, late nineties pop. The vocal styles of Backstreet Boys, Boys to Men, R and B styles that were adapted for pop. <sighs> See, That's I want to save that a little bit because again, if I'm if I'm trying to recapture what I was feeling real time as of the first listen here, because I, I mentioned this obviously, we've sat with this album now, so it's kind of almost ridiculous to look back at that through that lens. But it still should be a point of the, of discussion because that's how some people might approach the album and then leave it, you know, and just d- completely detach themselves from it if they can't get into it the first time. It's not how we suggest you should go about music, but it's still a way that a lot of people cull through the, the masses of music that's out there. Um, but I am going to swing this back a little because it, we've been on a little bit of an upswing, or at least I've been a little bit on an upswing when you consider the fact that I really just raved about the outro of the last track and I raved about the intro of this track. I am going to swing more towards Matt's side of things as of the time we get the screaming again. Mainly because this, uh, I was introduced to too much that I liked to be thrown back here. And that is unfortunate. I could definitely see that. And also because your anchor with the chorus being screaming is definitely something that the previous track did not do. When your home is very aggressive and very loud and where the instrumentation isn't quite the same level as everything else we got yeah. earlier. That, that's the one thing. The instruments on this album really are tight throughout, but in this case, the chorus kind of hits that wall of sound, while previous uh, the previous track, it wasn't. You still had distinction in a lot of the things. There's a little too much power chord work going on right here. But it goes a little bit further than that, because I had an additional problem. When I heard the screaming following the really, really moody part that I was almost getting, dare I say, emotionally invested in, like deeply so. There was one part that I want to point out about (laughs) that too, yeah. Well, following that, I heard the screaming and it became comical. Comical in a way that, as Matt frequently pointed out during our listen, is probably not intentional. It was probably meant to be another uh, conscious juxtaposing feature, but it was... Juxtaposing again this time in a a very strange way. It's shaped up to be negative because I was finding it just a little bit too funny. I could not reconcile how those two things could blend together. It didn't seem like the natural reaction to the previous emotion. Yeah, I mean, at least what the first track had going for it, it did have some connectivity in the emotion, and I didn't feel like it was uh, displaced. I just didn't really like it here. You know, when you go from his R&B pattern, which I really, really loved in the smoother stuff, to this screaming, it almost feels schizophrenic because it just feels so harshly different. And that's where I think I'm struggling with this track is there's no consistency for me here. I, it's not that abrasive for me in that kind of respect because the content, while the lyrics aren't particularly inspiring, I'm not... I'm not thoroughly enjoying any of the actual lyrical work. The context that they're being put in of trying to reconcile in the verse work and getting angry about it in the chorus work. I understand what's going on because it's a relationship that's falling apart, especially that chorus. I try making it easy on you. What more can I say or do? You only see half of what's there. He's talking about like going on tour or dealing with this sort of stuff, and you only see the good parts, you don't understand how bad it is. I get this, I understand what they're going for. To be aggressive about it, to be angry about it, works. It's just not meshing 100% for me, and I'm, but I'm definitely not nearly as down on it as I think you two are, or as you two obviously kinda are. 
So Well, I'm going to try to come up with, you know, this will probably not be the last time in this album that we will be saying. And then the screaming came, and then I was just like, I was taken out of it for a bit. It's probably <laughs> going to say that a few more times, but I'm going to try to come up with a, a unique point for each time, and it will not always be negative. In this particular case, it was a little more negative than others. Um, let well, me move on to one other point, and that is going back to the R&B thing. Uh, the inflection in his singing is getting more R&B each and every time he sings. And honestly, there were a lot of times earlier in the album here where I thought he was going for, like, Michael Jackson at some point. I thought that he was actually emulating Michael Jackson in moments. Actually, there is one uh, flow of lines from Of This Life I'm Leading, Be a Little Stronger in Your Mind. It actually is a little bit of a, a musical shift between these two lines, but it's, it's specifically how he flows from I'm Leading, Be a Little Stronger, felt like, like straight out of the best of Motown, right there. <laughs> it was solid. It was amazing. It's kind of all over the R&B spectrum, yeah. though. You know, there are times where he does dip as far back to Motown. There are times where he's right in that heart, you know, super pop Michael Jackson territory. There are times where he's as recent as Justin Timberlake. Yeah. And uh, there are times also throughout the album where he drifts more to one of those styles. Sometimes he's all at once. Sometimes he's just in a certain era of it. I don't want to uh, pit pin him to that style as much because again if you just view it through the lens of the metal backdrop then you can almost take it as something that's completely new and say yeah this is sort of a new style that they created i don't know enough artists that do this uh but it's just weird that i'm not as as much as i try to do that i i can only take those two things and kind of i can't compress them like i can't compress them into one entity instead i will always see these as two separate things but i you still have positive points on them separately. I actually would want to say that in this case, I think they actually use the two different things to do a specific <laughs> mesh. In the final build, and I said earlier that the previous rebuild on the last course kind of stank and I don't like it. Here, it's the exact opposite. The final musical fall into the rebuild of that last course was done by using the vocals to prompt it. That is something that actually shows up multiple times on this album later mm. on, where they use one to lead or to fall behind the actual musical progression, where you're going to get a fall. You're going to have a breakdown where it hits just maybe guitar or maybe just drums, and then you're going to rebuild it. But by using the voices shifting from one to the other and having it offset just a little, maybe the phrase dies before crooning's done if you're going to go yeah, into screaming. Like you have a single melodic line, and in the beginning of that melody, you have one vocalist, right? And sometimes as quick as the single as a single syllable mid-word, then it will shift to the next vocals. That's really, that takes finesse. And they it's do good writing. It, they do it very well right here in this final, in, in the outro of this track, in the, in the final chorus rendition, that I, I just have to accept that even if I might be a little bit just apologetic of the screaming at points, at least in the early part of the album, well, it was used so well here that I can't really complain. Luckily, if I just edit that part out, which again, it's only one element, and if I edit that out, I am left with mostly positives. It, with only the, the caveat that there might be a question mark as to whether it's in my tastes or not, and whether I would really go back to this on my own. I don't know yet, but I, I think there is some curiosity begging me to do that. In which case, some of the things that I really like about the end of this track are the second transition 
transition from the pre-chorus into the chorus. The second time he does that, it's even better than the first. Really interesting, the chord changes here amidst this, this ethereal mist. He kind of floats away. He goes up into the falsetto only to crash back to the chorus. I think maybe that was the moment you were starting no, to No, 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 it's a different one. Oh, it's a different one, all right. But that, that was a moment that musically, everything else that was happening in the background, I really, really liked that. But since we're talking about the part that you brought up, then I will add just one other part musically to the thing that you brought up, and that the is the drums. Yeah. The drums at that moment were particularly nice because in this, again, a sexy post-rock of veneer, you have the drums there, which are just sticking to the ride itself and not really playing much. Maybe you just have a little pitter-patter, but that's a very constant, yeah. and they gradually start building on the ride. And, and again great musical stuff. It's just you have all these other little interruptions, and that's so far my only problem in the track. But it's leaving me extremely hopeful that there's going to be a good combination of the two going on. But we don't quite get that in the next piece. Yeah, if I sound a little harsh on the first two tracks, that's fair. I am a little bit. But all in all, I do enjoy the tracks on the whole. You sound a little disheartened. (laughs) And that, well, but that said... They ain't seen nothing yet because the next two tracks I am way harsher on. And so let's start with track three, lost, letter N, found, parentheses, on a roll, close parentheses. It's specifically lost hyphen, little n, hyphen, found. Lost and found. So at at least you're found again. Since Steve quoted me, I might as well quote myself because this is another track that does in fact hit the ground running. It does have an immediate high energy start without moment cause for pause. It just really jumps right in and it's the high energy you would expect from a new metal or a metal song and so that's not unfamiliar but it, it does also start with a lot of screaming. A lot of screaming. Uh, but see, that's not. See, I'm going to try to avoid that particular point because that is not my overall problem here. It actually, all right, so if you just look at the fast paced stuff, sure. then you can say, sure, it has energy. How many yeah. times have we just said at the end of the day, well, at least it's got energy? <laughs> but, but the problem, as of only a few seconds in, and I was waiting for there to be that turnover, right, to the next thing, is that this kind of compressed itself into sort of a blur. So it's not just the screaming. If you add the screaming together with the power guitars, then you have just a blur. And even with the interesting rhythms in the background, because a lot of interesting stuff going over there, the track just did not have the same addictive qualities. And it didn't have the, uh, you know, the the cagey nature. It didn't have that jumping around thing that we thought was going to be a negative as of the first track. And then we're kind of, we're kind of missing here. You know, when he jumps to the next style, then I'm like, oh yeah, cool. There's just a more more compressed feel to this track where I could not define specific moments as affecting me in one way or the other, and that is usually the worst of the lot. Well, I think Matt actually put a word to what the high energy is, and that's thrash. Yeah. It really is thrash, and thrash I think might be the only style that's not going to work too well with croon, because I really could barely follow a through line between the two identities going on. It's not really speaking anything. This is definitely the worst lyrics so far. I I really just don't enjoy them. Lost and found, I found myself in a hopeful place, in a hopeless state. And I crossed the line between what's wrong and rightfully so. I gave my dignity to make it on my own. It's not really, like, okay, A, if anybody who knows me knows I like the specifics 
of something. I like to get, you don't have to give me names and dates, but give me a little bit more specific and what's unique about your situation. This is bland when it comes to it. It's just I like the next line. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. I think it's a little clever, the next line, abandonment adopted me. That is quite clever. That is clever, but it doesn't really go much farther from there. When abandonment adopted me, uh, when being true to myself did all but set me free. Birth giver, tell me how could you give your offspring to the darkness you've been hiding in. I spend my days fighting off bad luck. If these streets could talk, I'd conversate, and they'd tell me to stay up. That that I'm not a very I'm not a very big fan of that line. I I understand the metaphor that they're going for. I like that imagery, but it just doesn't feel like it flows very well for its presentation. It's it it's, seems very on the nose. If these streets yeah. could talk, yeah, yeah, I like the metaphor they're going for there. I well, don't know. I like I, this. I, well, it's it's not that. It's not just that. If these streets could talk, I'd conversate. As in, I'd talk to them. Which would be the walking of it, the experience of it. Like I can go a lot of different ways with that imagery. You can Let, you can get very descriptive about it. Let's just keep going because I I want to just milk the part until we get to the part that we know we're all going to jump in on. Mm-hmm. Let's just milk this for a little bit. A sleepwalker, tell me where you have been all my life. I've been trying to fit in. I've been talking to the walls, feeling my heart rate, feeling so small. The world is a big place, and I ain't got nowhere to go. So take me on a roll. Yeah. That's just really unimpressive. I don't understand. I just... I'm sympathetic. Yeah. But you shouldn't have such a removed sympathy for music. And also... should always be empathy. Reading these words and actually the way we're getting them delivered in the track are not the same. When the screaming moments are happening, which there are a lot more of them in this... it, Bro, and it's just pacing, mm. it, it just it wears on you and again this is not the longest song on the album it's not the shortest either so we when we move on to the next track which we're not at yet but when we do I feel a little fatigued even again I've listened to plenty of bands who do a lot of screaming I am a big fan of Slipknot they do a lot of screaming mm-hmm. my problem is here is that it feels almost relentless and it is I have no impact from it. Well, after the moment that I'm going to bring up, you're going to wish you wanted the screaming. Because this track jumps the shark, and it jumps it... (laughs) It jumps it strong. I could not even believe what I was hearing at the point in which we all start clapping along. It's not just clapping. No, no, no. It's not just clapping. The choir. Choir. Yeah, this choir. It sounded like a children's choir, maybe not quite so adolescent. They're just people. There's a lot of people. It sounds like a live show that they managed to cajole into doing the section for them. And it's not that that is bad in all instances. Again, there are times to have these great anthemic moments. It sounds like a, a compression of every Crash Chords episode just rolled into one of our critiques. But what's odd even more so is just the timing of this. It was so early. Yeah. It was, it was kind of early in this track, maybe halfway through or so, not really like the last third or last stretch, and so early in the album as a whole. So it's just a strange moment for us all of a sudden when we don't even really know this band yet or what they're all about to just, yeah, let's all dive in. I'm with you so far. It feels, we don't even know what the story is. It feels a little unearned and sudden. And I think like we've forgiven moments like this when we feel like it was building to it or there was something to understand about it. But it just does feel out of left field here. And if that's not out of left field enough, we modulate. 
Yeah. And we modulate after a few bars, just a few bars. And this was the strange. This was really strange because, again, just like you, I said, you don't really have much time to sit with it in the track, or get used to the track, or get used to the album as a whole. You don't even get used to the clapping and the 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 sensation of being roused and all singing in tandem before we take it up a notch. What's with the constant ramping up here? What's wrong with just sitting with something for a little while? And we're not really doing that with anything so far, and that's what's so strange. I I. Uh, I, I feel like I still want to be on the fence with this and say like, oh, well, that's not really a negative or a positive, but it is negative. It really is a negative at this point because that's just, it's too much so soon. It makes, it makes me wonder what you can top that with, you know? Right. Well, if, if we do have something to top with, we do have the next track, Young and Dumb. Y-U-N-G, which... ampersand, D-U-M, featuring John Langston. Maybe it's a type of dumpling. I okay, no. big critique. <laughs> Dim sum, um, young dumb. <laughs> only from my point of view, I, and this is this is where my argument for the realists came in earlier. Maybe they're just terrible at spelling, but honestly, don't spell young and dumb this way. Like that's just not good. It really shows that you're but, going for dumb, but you should not so heavily handed be going for dumb. Unless you're doing a comedy track. No, I think that's the point. I don't think it's a comedy track. That's the that's oh, the come point. come on, though. But they look. Uh, but that's the question. Like, what a, a musician can't be. I mean, it's not a good joke. It's not funny, really. But they can't even be funny in moments without you saying it has to be comedy as a whole. Yeah, no, 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 that's, that's, that's the whole I, thing. I disagree with that. That's the whole thing. If it's a joke, it's not a very good one. Or it's a, actually, yeah, it's just that, a bad one. But that's not the. So <laughs> this I, is a stupid point to no 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 on. because it's not comedic in the lyrical work. I can't really feel it being a joke. That's where my argument comes yeah, in. Yeah, but I would argue like when we got Chili Gonzalez and his jokey titles for his instrumental tracks, it's like there's nothing there supporting the joke in the music. There was nothing funny about the instrumentation, but the titles were still funny. You're just annoyed because this is a dumb joke, which I agree. No, no, no. But that's that, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm okay. saying there isn't a joke here. They're seriously talking about when they were so much younger and dumb about all this sort of stuff. They're saying we've this, this track. I feel like he's trying to say. We are growing as people now because back then we were morons. And I think it's that self-proclaimed idea that we have, have experienced human growth. And I think it's meant to be taken seriously. I don't see a joke going on right here. Well, That's okay. my let's, let's prove Got it. it. Let's prove it. Living the dream, living the lifestyle that we want, not a damn thing gonna change me. I'll tell them where I'm from. We're all young and dumb. Um, running wild through the streetlight like we could fly when the time's right. Before you know it'll pass by. I'd give anything for a minute back, and then it was midnight. We were speeding with the top down, disturbing the peace like we ain't got none. Our minds were stuck on getting older, but we found out the music dies when you forgot how to turn it up loud. That's somber. At least in the actual writing and Steve's delivery, it's somber. It's not. It's not talking about extravagances, which would have been an interesting, uh, bad kind of usual way of talking about being young and dumb, or you know, crocodile boots and things like that. And it's not talking about any specific jokes, but it's it's talking about something that actually is serious, which is why I can't see young and dumb, at least the spelling, being a joke. They're trying to be. 
imparting wisdom right here. All right, well, if that is worth a couple of points on your final rating, then that's your prerogative. But well, I, no, no, no. It's not going to be a big deciding factor. It's just it bothers me. Let's get to the meat here. The... First of all, we begin this track with sort of a, what I thought was almost a folk pop intro until, of course, we drop the beat. And then we got a couple of interesting things in the background. You know, this does change up the texture. We bring in violins. And it was a nice style because it was, a again, a sort of reverb-laden violin work pushed far in the background but creates these nice overtones for the track. I don't know if it really fit, but it's kind of nice. And honestly, I'll take it. Who's complaining at this point? Um, the chorus. By the time we get to living the dream, which we even started off as, but of course later on when we get it, we add the wo-o-o's, we add all of that stuff, which really, I guess, exaggerates the kind of stuff we were complaining about at the end of last track. We're just kind of pushing that, that anthem-like quality. Um, and I do think there is a reason to have an anthem-like quality here. So to go back to your point, John, you know, it, it is a serious subject, but I think it can be portrayed through a little bit of a comedic not overly comedic, but looking back in retrospect, yeah, it was silly. It was stupid. We were all young and dumb. Maybe still are. You know what? There's things to laugh about in, in uh, maybe misery or sorrow or is too heavy-handed of a word, but in anything, in any regret, there's always comedy. I Even can bad see that, comedy. I can see that point, especially in the second half of the chorus. And throw your hands in the air, go stupid like you just don't care. The best part of being young is when you make a mess, you never clean it up. Tomorrow's another day. Okay, more issues with the lyrics. And throw your hands in the air and go stupid like you just don't care. That's, like, that's annoying. Yeah, that is it's legitimately annoying because it's yeah, a trope. It's a and trouble, there's a lot but, of... but there is something cool that happens. And well, even in the parts I read, you know, speeding with the top down, all things that are just so commonly, over-exhaustingly used as, as symbolic of living the life. That, that Like, that's the only thing you could do is drive with the top down. But al also something John was saying in the, the lines that he just read, there's this moment for about half a line, maybe eight words, where he speeds up his patter and... And it, it has this really kind of almost scat speed feel, but it, 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 it's gone as quickly as it shows up. He it doesn't was, even finish the verse with that. That's the kind of, to throw out another artist from this mess of R&B singers, you know, that's something that Jason Mraz tended to do a lot. He always had that kind of like, he would fall into these really super speed sections, and he always had kind of a, a quicker pattern of, of, of singing. Um, and there are times he really that this artist he really goes into that and then he but pulls back a little bit. I know that I know that he does it in such brief bursts and it's certainly briefer and with a little bit less finesse uh, and maybe with more impulsivity than Jason Mraz approached it. But I'm I'm not yet as critical. Well, of yeah, that. but I'm not being. You didn't even let me explain <coughs> what I'm being critical about. It's not the fact that he did it because I like it. That it was short. That's it was what that I said. it was fleeting. It wasn't even short. I did bring that up, but I said that that's the kind of thing that even Jason Mraz would do for a line because it's just ah moments in in. But the difference is here is that he's done. He doesn't do it regularly till later. Up until this point, he's barely done that, and so to do it here, tease it so shortly, and then not do it anymore is really fleeting because we're not it's not oh well that's his style and he just does this from time to time he had not done this really yet and All then right. does it here and so that's where the frustration is especially because it was the most interesting thing i had heard on the track up until this point well the rest of the stuff this the the, the pop punk kind of predictable nature of the music turn know, it up now <laughs> you know Whiny the, again. the kind of pointless lyrics like there was nothing else really engaging and in that fleeting moment i was engaged and then disappointed
And so that's why it's I'm I'm harsh on it, but I'm not gonna tank the album because of it. It's just a moment where I was trying to find something to like about this track, and I did so briefly and then didn't. All right, uh, I can't say very much to that except that, you know, there will be other moments in this album. Maybe this was the yeah. first, and maybe that's what screwed you up. And the thing is, he has so many different sides of R and B that when he takes another leap toward a more more R&B, R&B your yeah. side, <laughs> then it's just difficult to take that step and then think that there's not going to be more because there's not going to be any more immediately. You're going to get it later. And then he'll pull back a little bit. He's just all over the map, and I guess that's the problem they're probably getting at at the end. Track five, Made to Last. So, so here we're on an upturn, I feel like. I feel like with this song, we're getting more of what I wanted to hear, and we did hear earlier on in the record. And that's because we're not getting just screaming. We're getting projecting. Projecting that really is just a very identifiable kind of bravado enjoyment. And I know bravado is usually a negative thing, but here it, it does a lot to really... To really make you pay attention, not necessarily to what's being said, but just to the personality that's saying it. Well, it's also the drums, you know, they're keeping your focus as well. It starts with just this heavy crash, 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 crash. But then it is quickly followed by a much more, uh, a really neat stutter. Just phenomenal drum work at this point, really spices it up. And the guitar work is actually doubling it very often. Um, and that's a perfect place for power chords, you know, just to show not down on power chords, a song, as long as it's it's in line with the uh, with the with an interesting rhythm, then I think actually it's better to probably keep it fairly simple with the chords, because then you you could you put all of your cards into the rhythm, and I think there's no problem with that. The rhythm here is actually holding down such an interesting backdrop for the rest of these pieces, like the the, the screaming, which of course yeah, it's about in every single track, and the R and B when it enters in, and all of the other successive sections here, they just kind of fall into place because the rhythm is interesting. And that made this track seem a lot more palatable than the previous. Actually, one thing that, uh, that I did not realize was missing from the previous pieces is the chorus transition back into verse here was actually airy, was spacey. It was almost like uh, the, the build-up problem, but it kind of just warps you back into the verse so well. I really didn't feel like we had previous transitions of any sort of caliber compared to this guy yeah. in anything, in any of the courses to verses or verses to courses or anything in between. It was very massively done. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a level of integration here that I'd really been hungering for, and we're kind of all harping on the same thing here, but I think because of that, and at this point now, openly accepting the R&B sound mixed with the screaming, but getting some of the yelling kind of aggressively spoken moments to give me more insight into this singer and where he's coming from and how he emotes. It seemed just sort of, sort of impactful for the sake of it in a lot of the previous tracks, whereas here we're getting some emotional connotation that I didn't get before. You also kind of shuffle the cards within that. You know, for the first time, it's not just the screaming in the same manner each time. Mm -hmm. That has been a consistency where each time he does that, it's like a tool. It's like a, an instrument that doesn't change. It has one thing. It has one timbre. You just accept it or not. Um, and since most of us have not accepted it, then you got to shuffle it. 
In this case, he kind of like swallows the anger at the at a certain moment. Like mm-hmm. he gets he screams so much that it just kind of gets lost in a garble. Uh, a, a gurgle can actually be heard for like maybe half a bar or something like that, and it's just a a very strange sound that adds something to the album as a whole. It adds something at least to this track um, alongside everything else. Again, the rhythm is basically the the big plus. Actually, they do go full scream here, but it's yeah. I think it is so well earned when he goes for it, and he really goes to the heights of love it, hate it, or just think it's okay in the previous pieces. When he goes to the heights and really hits that kind of just angry moment in the bridge, and it's not just it's not just because. I feel like he actually earns that level of anger, that he really deserves to be able to go that level of anger. But it's something I mentioned earlier that here is really massively done in the transition afterwards because he hits that scream and then goes back to croon. Or we actually switch vocalists and go back to croon. This may but, very well be the part that I just brought up. I but don't know. But it's not, it's not just that. It's not just that. It's also because here we get a heavy offset of the transition from the bridge to the chorus, where they actually bleed, but are bleeding together with a different kind of timing that allows you to go from screaming down to the breakdown, down to the croon, down to the rebuild. Like you're bouncing back and forth musically and vocally between the two different transitions, and it's very satisfying to be able to experience the turnover points separate from one another. And this was just, it was just a, a solid emotional to strike for yeah. me. And uh, two other points about that, you know, when it goes down to that softer part, I he added another little piece of texture, and that's this sort of seesawing synth. It just goes back and forth. It's much more in the higher register. It's not on. It's not like anything previously on this album. It's almost. It serves maybe the same function as the violins did in the previous track. So uh, that's about the only comparison I could think of. It was just a nice little additive. And besides that, I think alongside the rhythm, the chord changes here are fairly gripping in their own right. I still wish there was a little bit more framework, but I'm really not complaining as of this track. Yeah, and I think that all of these things together make the, the acapella outro feel more earned you know typically this could be something that could be considered cliche but because of the ebb and flow of this track it did feel kind of natural for it to peter out because you know it there was this burst of aggression and so it just feels like a loss of momentum a loss of energy that seems very natural yeah and it's not just it's not just an acapella outro like he goes like full r&b like Mm -hmm. old school style and there's no metal like it was one of the first moments where metal was gone like, not prog, not new, not anything. Like, no guitar, no drums. And it was weird hearing just the solo vocalist here. But it was it was tender. I mean, I'm getting feels that I did not expect. I expected a lot of fun going on, even when he was angry, even when he was sad. But this is feels on this album. It's just like emotional, like empathy for once that I, I just didn't expect. It was kind of out of left field. Well, that's because he paid for all his mistakes, and he knows that you suffered, and we, you were made to last, so go back to him. It, it, okay, that's the one... <laughs> Try to change that's the, really is the one downside. I, I, I think the lyrical work is better. It's still not Shakespeare, but it's better here. No, you get a but story. Not, yeah. You at least get a story. I'm it just, feels just gonna more read personal. One stands before we go on to the next, and that is, I've been changing. Can't believe how long that I've been waiting after every single dream has faded. I can bring them back to you. Heart's done breaking. I promise I'm a risk worth taking. This time, it won't be complicated, because all I want is you. We were made to last. That, that is a 
genuine expression. That of, is personal. Of love. That's those detail works I complain are missing in previous yeah. pieces. It's not. Don't know if anything's going to come of it, but you know, hey, it's not date and time. I don't need date and time. You I don't feel, need antidotes. But you feel what he's feeling. Yeah. Track six, Flojo. Which is actually Spanish for loose and is also slang for lazy ass or a freeloader. Huh. <laughs> you learn something you know. new every day. Um, ding. That's going to do a word of a day, too. <laughs> this this song uh, starts with the first kind of real actual isolated sound bite we've gotten on the album. And it's this kind of low tone, almost feels jazzy kind of record almost playing. It's like, yeah, yeah, the, the wiki, wiki, get, wiki, wiki, wiki. Yeah, yeah, you got you the DJ the stuff. You also have that that muffled uh, rise, you know, yeah. where it kind of starts out muffled. That's and what then, I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's gradually faded off, and then you get the clear, crisp song. Um, this was pretty interesting because, well, once again, I'm all about the rhythm here. And this is a very, very different kind of rhythm. I don't know for sure, but this may or may not have been in 1216 because I felt this in a fast group of triplets. You, you actually do hear a lot of this style, you know, this interesting swing thing. And then you have the screaming over this interesting rhythm. And that was just a little bizarre because, of course, that is a lot more forceful and it sounds like he's just throwing up words. I mean, I still want to say that I can focus, that I can bob along pretty endlessly to the rhythm despite the fact that the screaming is there because, again, it's comical and now that you have the comical thing alongside more of a peppy swing pattern, then it's like, yeah, that actually kind of does flow together. At least that's comedy that I believe kind of was intentional. I want to believe that at least. Well, yeah, there's, there's a cheekiness to this for sure and I think that comes from this almost true-to-form fusion of R&B and metal. The way everything kind of skips along, it's very easy to get caught up in the groove. But I'm also in the kind of same place as Steve, <laughs> whereas I'm kind of stay hating the screaming here. Because it's mean, hard I can, to take it seriously when it's... <laughs> right. but I can <laughs> it's basically what he's doing. But I can enjoy the instrumentation here enough that I don't really mind it that much. I'm just moving past it. But one thing I want to point out, the bopping along that you're going to enjoy with this... I really love the pivot in the chorus, halfway through the chorus, because we go from, I, I, I want to say they actually do change up the time signature here that, I, I, I don't know, maybe they're missing a beat here or there that feels like they're doing a shift, but... I think they dropped the swing thing. Absolutely. Yeah, and they go into a triple meter, maybe? I don't know, there's a big shift that they go... Where they're in triple they, they, earlier, and then I think they left that. I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't know. know. But I love the, the pivot because it feels natural, even though it feels like there's two very distinct parts going on right there. It's almost like they're transitioning from early Fallout Boy or maybe Blink-182 to something that's a little bit more maybe new metal or maybe a little bit more, I guess, avant-garde alt-pop. I'm getting senses of Incubus here, who did a lot of record scratching, a lot of funk and rock-infused strange. That's the one I wanted, yes. And, and so I, I do get a sense of, of what we're describing here. I think Steve's right, though. This has definitely got a cheekiness the other tracks didn't and can't be taken that seriously. I mean, to jump completely ahead and then go back, the final line of the entire track is, you fucking puss. <laughs> and the way it's screamed, it's like, how can you take that seriously? I'm glad like, we said that ahead of time. That needed to be said now. <laughs> we yeah, have to get that stuff out of the and way. And so I feel like while I don't really like the lyrics at all here... I'm getting the sense that they're not be meant to be taken seriously. Well, the focus here is the instrumentation. Let's take that in context, because we do actually get something pretty interesting in this bridge, uh, where 
all of a sudden he's kind of just dropped. There's no there's no uh, singing as he was doing in the choruses. There's no screaming as he was doing in the verses. Instead, all of a sudden now he just has this poetical aside. That's it. He's he's feeling poetical. Success is a two way street, and you never want to meet halfway. So we can share this victory. When I said success, I meant love. Through all of the hate, I must have forgot what it was. Trying my best to be impartial to the bullshit, but nowadays love is blind, and I'd like to think we're doing fine. Um, it's, it's interesting because I believe the final line is just invalidating the entire thing. It's in general a, a positive message, but then all of a sudden it's just, you fucking puss. Like, it does, it seems to just cancel everything out. Yeah. So, like, that is naivete. Yeah. I want to say that it's one of those lines that, because it's kind of, it's kind of quiet for the line and for everything else that's going on. It's almost like an afterthought, like, I've got blisters on me fingers. Like, something they just recorded after a session in the studio. They kept it in because it's, like, their own little private joke for that specific moment in time when they recorded this track. I want to say that's what that line is. I'm not going to argue too hard about it. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's I, it. I think that if it's that, it still does have a way of invalidating... Everything that came before it. In the same way that, like, you know, you sling a homophobic or racial slur at the end of a rant about how wrong someone is, you completely invalidate your own argument. It's a similar kind of thing. Ah. But again, it could be intentional in the fact that they're making such a ridiculous statement to just kind of wrap up the song, and which I'm not against, I guess. I don't know. I mean, that could be a positive message in any way. Like, you have this sort of mopey track, you know, because yeah. all the while I'm blind, I'm doing fine, get over it in the end. Yeah, you just yeah. translate his turn of phrase, the little braces, but so what? You know, yeah. the message is the same. Sure. So, eh, it is what it is. Track seven, Hero. Uh, did Chris Tucker step in here in the beginning? Because I could have sworn that there was some kind of little rant that I don't know if it was actually... No, it actually was the first line. It was, it's I never said I was your are. goddamn Superman. But it's just, that's, it's, it's like that's almost not part of the track. It's like that was just a little soundbite. It was his voice. I, I will attest to that. All right. Um, good impression. I thought it was a good way to actually bring it in. I, I liked how fast he was because of what we got with everything else once the music steps in. This is the amalgam. This is the amalgam of every R&B singer I could think of. But he crushes it. And that's what I love about this first verse. It, it He crushes it. And it's paired with music I don't think we got anywhere else so far so on yeah, this album. The, the first uh, uh, 10 seconds or so is a drum intro that, you know, just kind of... Uh, not unlike drumming we've heard before, but when we transition to the acoustic guitar we get next. And not just the guitar, but the little bit of extra flair that's in the rhythm section and the bass, which is just icing on top of this really awesome acoustic guitar. So at this point, I'm confused, yet intrigued, and not quite sure where to go. And then we get the verse, which is very poppy, very much boy band sounding we threw out names like adam levine and justin timberlake it is absolutely it's the pop side right it's the pop side of r&b but it's very starkly that whereas in previous tracks it was integrated into the music and the metal sound here it's standing on its own as just great vocals but it doesn't stay in this area and while i love this transition from verse one to pre-chorus one to chorus one, where we actually do find our album home again back in the metal scene. We stay there, 
We never go back to the acoustic. I love the first build. The first build is great. I love where we end up. I would have loved to go back, and this was... I couldn't enjoy it after that first build. And that was that's that's a big issue I have going. It was less about the build for me and more that because of that, I could focus on what the lyrics were saying, which were fairly trite and hard to really get behind. I mean, you know, they have the line, I'm for real, in the middle of the first verse. Like it's just simplistic writing that, you know, Whatever we've we've lauded other songs let's, where the music goes past the lyrics. Let's stop beating around the bush. I never said I was your goddamn Superman. Late at night, sitting up in my room, sipping on adrenaline and pacing over you. Lately, you hate what I say, but you can't hate me to my face. I'm for real. Just call it like I see. Obsessive and obsessed and possessive. And by the way, I really like the way he bounces around that particular line. This was he was crushing it. You don't know true shit about me. There's a temper in your tone that mouth left you on your own. Fake, fake it till you make Enough to buy some faith from who is dumb enough to pray for you, pray for you Hero, hero, everybody just want a payroll If the price is right, they may be your hero Pray to these fake relatable gods Pay them for attention till they get off Fake, fake it till you make enough to buy some faith from who is dumb enough to pray for you <sighs> He's got a position I like the position. I like the idea of money equals uh, loyalty and everything that's going on yeah. with that. That's a cool concept. The repetition of heroes and and getting them to pay you f- to make them a hero and the way it's portrayed in the unending later choruses. That's what they not feel like. a lot of lyrical diversity. The first verse is strong, but with... Everything peters off after right. that. Right, without any support in the following verses and choruses, it just falls apart. The whole song progressively goes downward. And it's a bummer because, again, musically, I like this one too. And I like that it made a harder pivot towards pop because it made it stand out from the other tracks. I just wish it said something. The issue, I, I, I'm not sure I... It's not a matter of agreeing, you know, uh, with the position or not. No, the problem, of course not. The, the problem, I guess, is a little bit that this particular track, I mean, it concerns the issue. All right, I, I never said I was your goddamn Superman. The concept of saving someone, right, of being someone's savior. And it shows absolutely no sympathy at all. And sometimes that is a, that is a valid position to take in it. But it is, it is really tough after you get over all of these other, you know, like, you can't be any more, you can't be filled with as much hatred as fake, fake it till you make enough to buy some faith from who is dumb enough to pray for you. That is how little pity or how is little left for this person. That is a tough thing, I, I, I feel, to get, like... There's not a lot of likability there, even as... You don't know what he went through, but there's not a lot of likability in the song, I think. So it's not a matter of agreeing with the position or not. It's just... It's tough to completely empathize with his position at the end of this. I think it's supposed to be sarcastic. Or maybe uh, the position of being some notoriety or some celebrityhood actually being thrust upon him. And it's still that uh, idea of trying to fake being a celebrity when you don't quite feel it yet because now you're being prayed to or being lauded and being followed and now people are hanging on your every word and your followers are getting, you know, extra zeros on the end of it. And now you're making the money and the money 
gives you the people who follow you because you're making it. And it's that cyclical cycle, and maybe that works to the advantage of the message. That's it's built into the way the music is portraying and the vocals are portraying as a cyclical cycle, and it's all, all right. kind of fake at the end of it. And I see an artistic argument for all this stuff. You took it society, the societal route and the yes. celebrityhood route. Yes. It's funny though because when you were just going off the first verse. Uh, late at night, sitting up in my room, sipping on adrenaline and pacing over you. I think of it as being a relationship. And it's, I think actually it does, but like when you think of it as a relationship, it becomes difficult to relate to this because it shows such little sympathy. The, the, yes. The, the, the character that is very tough to relate to in film, you know, the, the, the I'm over you and I'm, and good thing I'm over you. Fine. Forget you. That, that is the way this comes off as. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Which is yeah. one of the best portrayals of uh, it. Yeah, but right. That's a, a lot of bit of a different ones. approach. But then if you look at it through the celebrityhood route, I agree. That's that's where all of a sudden the victim has shifted. You know, yeah. like I have no sympathy for the person who put so much of their own life and their own cards in something that was never close to begin with. So all right, that's just a different approach. Uh, I, or I a did... different theme and we don't know who's right. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. <laughs> I don't know. Track eight? <laughs> Coma. But in all caps. Coma. Like it's a really loud coma. Comas can have noise? Uh, sure. We're you, can gonna have go like, you can have like weird half comas where like you're a little bit conscious. Actually, they That's recently... terrifying. No, there was a recent yep. discovery. They were able to confirm an individual, a man in a coma, once they hooked up electrodes... He was able to respond to their co- uh, questions. I saw that story. Yeah, the, lighting up the actual speech center of his brain when they ask him questions. That's terrifying. Yeah, it's really terrible for that guy, but it's one step closer to figuring out the human brain. True. It's still terrifying. Yeah. Well, and at least maybe you c- he can have it's, communication. But it's you know? akin to screaming where no one can hear you. Yes. That's terrifying. Yes. Anyway, coma. Is, we should have talked about that on coma ecliptic. But here, okay, we got screaming. The screaming shows up. I guess that would be the segue we got going for it. That's the only segue we have. Um, well, the, so now and the stuttered rhythm thing again. Which, by the way, I want to I want to stress that the middle portion of this record has been really strong on. The rhythms yes. have been their best in the middle. Also, in the intro, we do get vocalizer singing. Yes. Um, which. You know, at first, actually, because of the way it was uh, enunciated, it sounded like synth work to me because it was just so electronic and kind of muddy, it's which like I like. It just liked. shows up as like, whoa, okay. I, I'm, I'm not tiring of them throwing new things at us. I'm enjoying when they're throwing new things at us. I would have loved them to keep doing stuff with this vocalizer and the rest of the nope. track. Fleeting, happens at the beginning, never again. Oh, and this is an issue that we see with a lot of bands in a lot of different ways, and I really didn't want it to be an issue because... It's the first time on this album they really did just leave something as a five-second bite. Mm. And it was a bit of a shame because this, the vocals do benefit from the kind of sparse stated drum work, the kind of sparse stated guitar work that's going on, the sit touches that are showing up here, and there are more of them, they're heavier, and they're still being solidly used and solidly adding to it. After the first rendition, just like I had a problem after the first build here, it goes through a very safe verse, pre-chorus, chorus, where it just steps up, steps up, plateaus, drops dramatically back down. Okay. Step up, step up, plateaus. I agree with that assessment, mainly because there's a couple things here that I want to stress. There's not as much of 
the stark shift again between each or rather all right fine well if you get over the fact that it's always stark to hear the singing and the screaming blah 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 we could we've said that already. and i've been i've been over that for a while yeah. and the point here which is interesting is actually there seems to be a little bit more integration or rather because it happens in such rapid succession it's weird you have this justin timberlake style singing overhead but his hype crew right it sounds like the pre-chorus whenever that steps in suddenly now it's not like a separate section it's more like someone just stepped forward to interject because the pre-chorus is so short say something i'm not giving up on you i'll stay as long as i need to that is screamed that is michael bond but the it, it's interesting that it is stated almost as if this were a live setting and someone has just stepped forward and the hype crew is not just in Timberlake's typical, you know, they dance and then they, they're backup singers. Instead, it's the backup screamers, which is a really weird dynamic. Well, but. I also like his, his screaming in this track is that when it comes later in the breakdown also, it kind of snaps the track in half, but in a good way. It breaks up what otherwise feels like it's kind of repetitive. Or cyclical, I guess, as John was saying. And so I like that, that separating moment. Well, the other reason is that the chorus, to me, was dull. It was flat-out yeah. dull, which meant that when we received the plateau that John just previewed, I don't feel much for it. I don't yeah. feel it's extremely forgettable, and that's even despite the fact that it's using the singer that I prefer on this record. And I'm not actually on board with the bridge... I just, I didn't feel like it actually did what a lot of the previous bridges do, which was Well, it did it, that's th why. But that's why you didn't feel it, because it didn't do what the previous bridges did. It was not a connector. It purposely separated those two parts. No, 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 I'm, actually, I'm on the opposite side of the fence of that. The oh, okay. previous bridges were connectors. They were interesting connectors, because they would do something, like slap bass, something out of left field. Those left field things are great. Here, the left field idea is... Let's do something completely different and break it up. It broke it up. It lost me the flow. I was all over the place. And that's why my drawing right here is sweep up, drop back down, sweep up, drop back down. And I just scribbled a bunch of things to represent bridge because it just doesn't fit with anything else that's going on. I understand. So you're agreeing with my assessment of it. You but just don't agree negative. with it. Yeah, it's yeah. a negative, that's not fair, a positive fair, for me. Fair enough. Well, I thought it was a positive, but I do agree that everything else here is not as good as previous tracks had been of the same thing. Well, the only thing I'll add to that bridge is just the fact that I enjoyed the guitar drone in the background that persisted through. I, I, I like the fact that it wasn't stuttered, just because that's actually something that, uh, as much as I like it at times, it really gets tiring on the album. You know, they don't change it up very much, and you're just kind of used to it. Just and finally here it was just longer tones, longer drones. You still have the screaming, but somehow that made the screaming more palatable. And that's one thing that I liked about that bridge. And I would concede to John that all things considered, it was still fairly cliche to have that moment. And the rest of the song did suffer from some kind of tr cliche tropes. And so it doesn't overall make the track incredible, but at least for me, uh, gave it some juxtaposition that I could grasp on. Too. It's to the point that they're running out of ideas to top themselves. That's my problem. I think there's a lot of virtuosity in this, but I think that there's a lot of issues here with when they stay at level 10 all the time, right? Then you really have very few places to go. You go down, and at case when we hear something at level 2 or level 3, that's much more impactful to us. That becomes the new 10. You just invert the system. But uh, that's a little tough on this album because the ears are a little more inclined to stay at something medium level and then have a few climaxes, you know, rather than doing that in the invert. I'm not saying an album can't be structured that way, but this is, uh... 
Structure is a term we use very loosely at this point anyway. And we haven't even well, touched yeah, on that. Actually, that's more closer to the point because of yeah. the fact that this album so far, I don't really have any favorite segments. I can say maybe the intro, the rhythms were a little more interesting in the middle or this or that was more interesting at the beginning and the end. But overall tracks, I don't have like specific moments of placement. I could say I really like track one, but I also have a couple more later that I still yeah, really liked. Exactly. A couple in the middle. They're just all just all over the place. So the the process there is actually that you have less memorable segments. It's harder to keep the album as a whole in your head. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to track nine, Rank Rider. Um, what I like about the beginning of this track is that there's a nice mix, and considering the previous track kind of seemed bland and predictable here, we're getting more in the vein of what they've been doing throughout the record, and I appreciate when they try and integrate the R&B, pop, and metal. I think that's when they're at their strength, and they do that here. Um, but again, when the screaming comes in, it just takes me out of it. All right. <laughs> I know, but I'm I... getting tired of saying it, so let me, let me elaborate a little bit here why. Here, it takes me out of it because I just don't feel the kind of emotional impact that we've now gotten at this point in the record. And spoiler alert, we will get before the end of the record again. So for me here, whenever he's screaming and I don't get the emotional impact, that's why it's losing me here. I have no problem with the screaming in this track the first time. This is almost the exact same argument I had in the previous piece. And I think, though, I'm the only one here that enjoyed it. I think that's the end of the day, the big difference between the previous track and this track. No, well, I'm going uh, to... I, I think it's it's, an, it's a non-entity to me. It is actually is a non-entity in this track. I may be more closer to you because, really, it's, I guess it's, yeah, kind of like in track two. I had too much else to focus on as far as the intro here, and it is very much like track two in terms of the post-rock thing that comes back. Even if you just talk about the very beginning, the very beginning kind of previewed this with the, the distant vocals over these more uh, ethereal synth. It almost felt romantic for the few seconds that it lasted. But then, of course, the drum stuttering returns, and that actually was became the more uh, pervasive thing. But even so, better this time around, because ironically, it has framing behind it. The drum stuttering is not just by itself. You have these delicate post-rock guitar drones in the background. Just two chords, but they're really <clears throat> long. This is almost the level two. This is what I was talking about. We've come down a few pegs, and I thoroughly enjoyed this as a setup, but that's not where my issue begins. My issue begins with the fact that everything I'm describing right now is gutted. It's <laughs> gutted. It's gutted with the fact that those delicate post-rock guitar drones are dropped. They're completely dropped. And why were they dropped? I don't know. All that left behind it was the lingering drum stuttering. And that <clears throat> choice made absolutely no sense. Such a, a beautiful veil was used behind this one verse, and that stuttering felt really, really barren after it was gone. And that's where I'm still on board. Because as we go into the pre-course and course of the first build... It's, it's just like the previous track. We're once again going to the metal home of the album. I like it. I really think it fits what's going on. The problem I have is that it's actually the same problem as yours, but not because it doesn't persist throughout, but because it never comes back. It's because once we finish our first chorus, we're done we we're we're back in metal. We're back in the our safety net, and we never leave it again. Well, that was implied in my problem. If it came back, we even was just within a few bars or so. I would have mentioned it. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's, not even it's that, obvious. It doesn't. I would have been happy if it maybe had been the outro piece or something like that, just to draw us back. But the one thing I do want to point out with this piece, with this song, is that those guitars 
uh, actually felt it felt militaristic, specifically because I got a friend of mine who's in the military. He has actually done a little bit of the music. He's, he's turned me on to a little bit of the music that is very tried and true for his military service. Military it, music, it, 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 has a, it has a use, you know, and it's good stuff. John Philip Sousa, great stuff. <clears throat> but recommend. what the reason I'm bringing this up is that this track is actually about military service, specifically a long-distance relationship mm. between uh, a soldier and his loved one that I didn't get until the very end of the lyrical work. When I realized that a dear John, which the song actually starts with, is the is is directly referencing dear John uh, letters of breakup that are just a, a common trope in movies and television shows for military service. There's a couple of other references that just put it in my head, like Tag Chaser, which I've actually my military friend used once when he was talking about this cougar he met in a bar. I had asked him what the hell a tag chaser was. It's someone who goes after people in military service as as conquests of sexual prowess and things like that. But anyway. Also, I noticed that he throws in Ravel here, although that's in a very different context. So correct me if I'm wrong, your life is a sad song. Ravel couldn't compose the mess God made on you, which is a really, really interesting uh, line. I, the, I, I don't know if there's necessarily the military connection there, except for the fact that Ravel wrote Bolero, which is extremely militaristic. Yes, I know that one. Yeah, but um, that's the only militaristic thing. The rest of the stuff he did was very impressionist, and I think that's actually the context in which he's using this. Just thought it was interesting. But it it does, me taking it this way, does shine a little bit of a different light on the lyrical work. I'm a... Because I got a little bit more context, even the rank, rank writer. Rank is a military term by itself. <laughs> we, I mean, we looked at the title at first and we thought it meant like rank as in rancid. You know? No, I, I didn't see it that way. I just really treated it as a non-entity like most of these titles. Oh, okay. Um, but I think this is the first time that it's actually given us a clue. So I'm not going to forgive the lyrics because I'm not a particular fan of, these, of this song. But... It does frame it to be a little bit more personal, which allows me to accept it a little bit more. Yes, but we're forgetting one of the most glaring flaws of this track. Yeah. And it is the return of our choir and OOOs. That's the point where I I threw my hands into the air about this. Like you just don't care. Like I just, well, at that point I did stop caring, so it is appropriate. Yeah, when choir comes back in 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 the sort of end post-chorus piece... Yeah. There wasn't a ton of validity in the lyrics just because I wasn't being impacted by them, regardless of what they're trying to represent. But then when the choir and the OOs came back, I was just like, okay, so this is every other song. It's not individual sections that bother me, though I am thrown in those individual sections. You add them all together, and I don't know what this track was going for emotionally. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. John, it's a pretty good point when you look at the lyrics. It's obviously something he was going for. But when you combine the fact that I had that, you know, delicate intro... And then we just drop that out, and you're left with kind of the bare militaristic style. And then you go into a choir where everything's rousing. And then after that, it's back to the rap R&B. And then that's followed quickly by the screaming. We're losing. We're using every component of the album. It's just compressed into one. I can't define this track in my head. But I'll see if the last stanza defines it in any way, shape, or form. Barring from some of the lyrics earlier in the 
track. Dear John's in alcohol. Cheap shots, you knock me out so cold. It's not worth it. No, you're not worth it. You only call when I want to pay. Maxed out plastic, guess you'll be on your way. It's not worth it. No, you're not worth it. It's not worth it. I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. I... I, I just don't... There are moments where this album is shockingly shallow with the lyrics, and that's fine. There are plenty of face value lyrics that we've accepted. I just, I don't know, because there's such intelligent design in moments that things like this kind of let me down. And in the next piece, track 10, Blue Wall, this is the song I tried the hardest to love on this album because it's social commentary, and you know I love my social commentary. But before we talk music... Before we even talk really the nitty-gritty of the content, I was very disappointed in this lyrical work. It is it is really childish, and it's talking about something that, frankly, has been on the news for a very long time, uh, t- decades. This has been an issue that keeps popping up year after year after decade after so much stuff because— Well, what do you think it's about? <laughs> Listeners easily temperamental, dangerously equipped, impossibly avoidable by proving their contempt, bastardizing the justice, and living above the law. Black and blue don't get along. Blue just want them dead and gone. <clears throat> Empty your clips on the victim, and then you look the other way. Your nation will crumble, and you'll look the other way. It's beat poetry about police brutality, which is, it's it's terrible that there is police brutality. Um, it's also extremely uncommon, and I'm not uh, going to apologize for it or anything like that, but my favorite pieces that are actually about this sort of stuff actually talk about both sides. And that is the fact that there's a vast majority of police officers that are not bad people. Right, but let's not get off topic. And it's not. This is not meant to be about the people who aren't the bad people. It's focused on the ones who are. It's called Blue Wall. But yeah. that's you the can't big. Get past. That's the thing. It's characterizing all police officers as it. Not talking about the best ones are the ones that talk about the specific events and talk about the individuals that are involved in the events, even without naming names, that actually address the problems, which are the things that are happening in those locations perpetrated by individuals. Sure, but but bringing up the not all X, Y, or Z is a distraction. This is just a hate on rant about it, though, and that's the problem. This is not worth sparking a political rant about. I mean... We have had this discussion in several other albums. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. been the talk of, of the last couple of years. I, I, I guess it. when it comes to artistic representation, it's just a matter of finding interesting ways to say a right. certain thing. And, and I, I am 100% with, with John in preferring, and this is just my artistic preference, uh, obviously, if, uh, on the person, on, if you have a certain angle, then you might just want the one side told. That's completely up to your prerogative, but I do like the ones that tell both sides of the story. Um, and even when you do get the one side, then I like the specifics also, as John right. said. This is really not about... The specifics. It's it's just one generalization after another. Caged like animals, wound up and released with their badges, brutalize our streets, savages. How many have to die to put an end to crooked swine? I, like I get it, I get it, but it's it has it has already been said. You can read an article and accomplish the same thing because there's no added nature to the art. Get down, already knocked out, face on the ground. We're at war with the ones who protect and serve. Like, that is a straight-up call to arms against all police. And I can't get behind something like that. But that's yeah. that's just my rant on the lyrics and on the presentation of an idea that I actually am behind. The other side is, I don't know anything to talk about the music here that hasn't already been said. 
on this album. Yeah, that's the big thing. You know, this is the first one where we're actually talking about the, the, like a specific topic that is not related to something vaguely in his in his own life, I guess. Well, unless this is related vaguely in his own life, in which case, well, he really wanted to avoid specifics, and that's really strange. But, well, maybe it was necessary. Still, uh, here we can actually have a discussion, and yet we have nothing to say unique about the music in any way, shape, or form. It's kind of like all just this conversation has grappled the song. The only thing they actually... The only thing I can say specific to the music here is that it did go into this weird tritone-based warbly guitar and bass thing. It almost sounded like this kind of dark, super Metroid-oriented ordeal if you just picture the darkness associated with that environment, but it was only just that. Only just that, not really expanded upon, just uses a backdrop material, and then you have the rapping stuff over top, and then you have the screaming and the siren as if that's supposed to help you to figure this out. I don't think you really need it. Um... I don't know. That's that's basically all I have to say about it. I'd say that musically and even uh, lyrically, this musically and vocally, this track is loud for loud's sake. Like I don't even feel like the increase in volume, the ramping up nature, no. besides trying to convey the aggression and frustration of the lyrics. It just doesn't really make much more of an impact beyond that. Depends on the part you're talking about. Right. The, the warbly guitar bass thing. Uh, centered around the tritone I did think was a little bit more low-key and maybe is something that did part the waves a little bit too for the lyrics I did I did think that much but the rest of it as far as progression as far as stuff to say about the play the directions in which this track went musically then there's not much let's go to track 11 someone who does a very heavy intro on this piece like it, it feels like this one actually is is starkly thick compared to a lot of the other stuff that's happening on this album, which is weird for metal. Like, you can actually point and say that's more metal than other things, maybe? I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. You said it wrong. It should be, that's so metal. It's more metal. <laughs> well, you always go Russian. <laughs> German is where you go. I can't do German. Russian is the closest I got because I took Russian in high school. It's very metal, yes. It's very metal. I'm very fond of it. I am familiar careful, with metal. Careful, careful. They're listening. <laughs> oh, jeez. Anyway. Um, What's on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> That's that would be... the bay. And if you're Russian and you feel like we're categorizing your uh, actual vocal patterns improperly, please send your hate mail to Steve. John Dot Sanders. <laughs> I'll say it louder. <laughs> all right. In all seriousness, no, though, this track is kind of back to an upswing for me. Um, you know, it's not quite where I want this album to go back to, but it's in the right direction, at least. You know, the, the, the movement of this track, well, there is movement, for one. Like, there is a progression to the instrumentation of this track. We're not stagnating in the same place. There is a flow. I will agree with that. But ironically, I think the texture is a little bit duller here. <laughs> Actually, than the last track. I don't, I don't know. It feels like they're not doing too much new, but they're doing it very well. And this, I think, actually goes into an earlier statement we made about this album, and that we can do a little bit of shuffling, because here's someone who does could have been a lot earlier on the album. It might have been a good introductory piece, because it's doing a lot of the things we know and enjoy and may have critiques about on the album. It's sort of an epitome of the album itself. It's doing all the correct things, all the right things that we were lauding in the very beginning of the album. And a couple of little extra stuff that may not have showed up right away, like the synth. The synth feels like it's doing a lot more here than it may have been doing earlier. The pre-chorus 
or late verse, I don't know how to actually describe it because it's kind of wishy-washy. It's got screaming that's working extremely well. I, I actually enjoy this part. I enjoy the reaching and, and yelling and I'm, everything. I'm losing track. You know, I, I know this is dragging a little bit for listeners or, or for Mark, but I, I'm starting to lose sight of the reasons why. You know, well, you, you need, that needs things... to be said. If, if, if the screaming works for you in a place, great. Tell me why. Tell me why it works. It's got I didn't. it's got probably the best spit flow on the rest of the album. I think that might be it. The actual pacing feels like it's some of the best work here. If Not just in if, the screaming, but the also case, in the crooning. If that is the case, then I am numb to it. I am numb to it at the moment. And that's my that's my big critique. Like the easygoing vocals. When the crooning comes in full force, it's kind of meh complications in the instruments. It's nothing new. I wanted the guitar to step up. I wanted the piano to step up. That does actually show up here. I wanted the bass to step up. I wanted some sort of instrument to be an identifying piece in this track. And I think I kind of want... That's a problem on the album, actually. I, that's what there are not at. enough like featured instruments. Everything is generally compressed or otherwise used as a soundbite. Or it's because there's not a whole lot of instrumentation going on. There's only two pieces going off, like the guitar and drum. When they're by themselves and doing just a rhythm section, yeah. you can hear them distinctly. Here, there's not a whole lot of distinction. When we saw something in the bass being distinct and f- pushed forward and being a through line that is very forceful... We've mentioned it. It's hard to mention anything else. Then I'm going to be fairly curt with this track. Uh, this is the poster child for what they do if you wanted a really bland uh, profile of what they do. You know, it, it, it really is the least unique, though. I think many of their other tracks, even though we may have undersold them at various times because we were a little bit numb to it considering they had just previously done that, uh, they at least showed something unique. Something unique even for the style in which they're working in. Though this track would get lost in a pack. Um, not of this album, but, well, it does get lost in the pack of this album, but it would get lost in the pack of this genre. Which Other is... Other tracks might stand out. Which is, uh, Lost Father. Father left us. He left us alone. I had to raise myself with my mother, and I had to be a man by myself, and a lot of other abandonment issues, which I'm not saying, <laughs> suck it up, I'm saying that's a real thing. Yeah, there's abandonment issues, and you have to deal with it. Um, I can name this... three songs off the top of my head that did it better, at yeah. least in a song form. That's the thing. <laughs> right. And so well, I think my biggest caveat with what Steve said, and I was on this side of it for a while, of this being the epitome of what they do, I feel like the final track on the album, when we get to it, is actually that. I think this is that, if you wanted to pare it down, package it, and simplify it for the masses. And so that's where I would agree with Steve. I think as a whole, the track is predictable and kind of cliche, but I still do enjoy the style of what they do, and it is present here. Let's start pushing ahead then. Uh, Track 12, I Always Knew, serves as kind of an intro for the final track. Um, It's an instrumental, nothing really going on content-wise. Instrumental, <laughs> yes, we'll use that. Um, but I actually rather liked this because, yes. of course, well, instrumentals give us a chance to breathe, uh, and we yeah. don't really get a lot of them. It's fairly short. It starts with kind of almost like this CB radio chatter. It just sounds like this 
chattering going on over over either like radio waves or you know just uh, walkie-talkie stuff i don't know maybe space i don't know but it's it's followed by these longer drones that again call back to the post-rock stuff from earlier even then it it has an era behind it i i feel it as being further back in the 80s even that 80s brand of post-rock which was when the genre started to kind of come around but hadn't really gotten its legs yet um i feel that a lot here in any in many ways it would it would feel like it would certainly stand out for the time and it stands out certainly on this album for me i i guess actually if we were going to talk about things that are up our alley and in our tastes then this track front to back wins like this track there i don't really have to dice up and do it piecemeal the whole entire thing really works for me it's a it's a interesting progression from the 80s post-rock stuff, this light piano work, these misty chimes, eh, random little sound bites that just kind of add intrigue to the yeah. track as a whole, and it's a fairly c- consistent drum pattern uh, throughout the whole, but gradually it starts to, again, emphasize the uh, the ride. Uh, the, the crash cymbal gets a little bit more um, heavier there, which I believe is something that uh, they did earlier in the album as well, but here it gets flushed out in a larger scale. I have no complaints. Ditto. I got nothing to add <laughs> on right. that. Well, and it's it's a good point to just go into track 13, Slow Me Down, because this really blends right through from the previous track. Uh, and, of course, you get all the same stuff. The black the backdrop material is retained, but over that, you get the anger. You get the, somehow I always knew I'd bite the curb, outspills the proof, the letter in your pocket, now I can't escape the truth. Surprises so violent stop with the silence. Who is she to you? Um, you get where the anger's coming from, and actually, I feel for once, again, I have the, I have the setting. I have the framework for yeah. it. I was in the, the position, instead of just this, this random outburst, I get an outburst against a setting. But it takes that post-rock and pitches it, keeps the guitar, blends it with the vocals. Everything works in this first verse that really captures kind of like the core level of anger and resentment and everything like that that seems to be coming to a head in this album because it's hard to, you know, scream and it either be taken as cheering, which I didn't really hear any cheering on this album, or it to be taken as anger or resentment or some sort of negative connotation emotion because it's a very solo voice. But it takes that post-rock, blends it together so that I'm not scared of this. I'm not really... I, I just enjoy everything that's coming here. Even the really high-energy, forceful parts that have been some of the lowest parts on the album vocally are working really well. Even the chorus, which is kind of a standardized, high-energy version of what the verse was done. Well, it's... But it's perfect. I feel like we're earning this chorus. I feel like we're really enjoying this output of energy that's coming from it. So... I don't really have much new to say. I just feel like this, as Matt said, kind of exemplifies the best of what they do. I have plenty new to say because here, <laughs> the this is the best vocal mix we've gotten on the record, and that's because the rhyme or reason is set up a little bit different. There is some over, there is some overlap. There's some bleeding together. We go from yelling to hardcore screaming 
to melodic singing from beat to beat almost in moments. It has an interplay that was just missing on the rest of the record. There was something... Except we, in very isolated moments. Well, yeah, we previewed it, I think, maybe as soon as, as, as track two. Yeah. It's definitely more prevalent here, where you have a single melody, and then, you know, note to note, you know, within that melody, you feel the the, the singer being replaced. And, and, and it, it really is done quite a bit of finesse. I don't know if that was done in one take, or whether they just had two separate tracks and they were overlaid together, but it's still the product. The end result is great. And that finesse not only adds impact to the angry moments and gives you that forced emotion, that forcefulness to feel, but it makes the tender moments even more tender because when he belts out these beautifully harmonic sung lyrics, you really feel the pain in that. Also cool bass work. I think that's actually been there the whole time. We just couldn't hear it. As going to an earlier. Exactly. Go back to an earlier complaint. And um, unless we have more to add to slow me down, I will take us into wrap-ups. There's a problem with the fact that we kind of curtailed the last few tracks. And that's because you get a little fatigue in this album. And it's one of the things that I'm just going to touch upon because I think these guys also want to mention it and we don't like repeating too much. But there's not a solid narrative in this album to require these songs individualistically or as a whole to be in this order. And I think that's going to really hurt it on the theme as a whole. There's a lot going on. The instrumentation, honestly, is on average above par. So the low end of it is just, you know, good. And as we said earlier, the drumming is particularly good because to be a metal drummer, you usually have to be particularly good at drumming as the bass line. Just be an average metal drummer. It's metal music. It's it's very demanding on the rhythm section. Um, The guitar work, especially the rhythm guitar, I was noticing that more than any of the lead work, was, was... up to snuff with the drum work in so many cases, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. The vocals, well, <laughs> that was probably the, the the big discussion. No, not probably. That was the big discussion. That, that was the polarizing discussion of this album, and that's, I think, where, where I think our biggest uh, diverging thoughts are going to occur in our own wrap-ups, because I enjoyed a lot of it I, I want to say a lot more than either of my compatriots here. I thought it was pretty good, especially because you're having two identifiable voices. The big issue, though, with the screaming is that it did not really change too much. I mean, we tried to change up our descriptors when we felt like there was a different level going on to go from from screaming to yelling to just forcefully projecting but it's kind of obvious that crooning allows you to do a lot more things that singing allows you to do a lot more things because a lot more things were done couple with the kind of lackluster lyrical work that was going on and just a lot of unsatisfied things I guess just nitpicks here there and the nitpicks got a lot worse as we went along because instead of being able to laud the new and the good it was just going to be repeating the good so we had to we were finding a lot more things that were wrong with the album as opposed to right but I enjoyed it and 
maybe it's a guilty pleasure or maybe it's just the fact that it's a lot of different ideas that we're not making a new genre here, but we're playing with a wider selection of the coloring box than we usually do. Instead of being just a metal with jazz or a metal with rock or a metal with something, it decisively decided to be metal R&B and then add in a little bit of alt rock and a bit of pop and a dashing of punk and this, that, and the other thing. It's, it's using a lot of different colors in the palettes. Mostly it works, so I ain't gonna complain. And I'll say it's a for a sophomore album, it's actually quite inventive, uh, at least in pop structure. So for that, 3.7. All right, my turn. Um, so uh, the first thing I want to say is that I, I feel like I'm a rare breed these days that still <coughs> enjoys music on an album scale. Now, don't get me wrong. I like my fair share of playlists. I make plenty of custom playlists. It's my job sometimes. Um, but I, I do still try and enjoy a lot of stuff on an album level, either on my iPod or on Spotify, especially if we've reviewed something that I really like. It's rare if I only like a few songs on an album we've reviewed that I really go back to any of it. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll dump it into a playlist, but lately I just prefer to stick with albums. So that said, this album puts me in a conundrum because upon a f the first few listens, I was kind of just up in arms about not enjoying the screaming and didn't really pay enough attention to anything else and was quick to write it off, which I think was a trap that Mark might have been trying to set. That said, you know, as I listened to it more and I, I engaged more in the screaming that was abrasive, I engaged more in the melodic singing, which I really loved, I found that there's a lot here that I really like. The problem is I just... There's maybe half the songs on the album or less that I would go back and listen to on loop. I mean, for sure, Slow Me Down is one of my favorites and probably what I think is the pinnacle of what they're going for, for sure. So as a closer, is a strong track. But we are lacking in theme here other than general strife and self-affliction and self-preservation, which is enough of a theme, I suppose, but without a solid arc either. Being fairly schizophrenic on a song level and an album level, that really hurts it. But John is also not completely wrong. A little wrong sometimes, you know. Sometimes he's wrong. Sometimes he's just wrong. But here, he does make a good point. They are doing stuff instrumentally here that I've never heard before. You know, also, I mean, let's not forget Flojo. Flojo, I think, is one of the most incredible songs on this album because it's absolutely taking metal style playing to play R&B and hip hop inspired music instead of it's it's rap rock or R&B rock but in such a different light that I didn't even think was possible and of course it's possible so that was really stunning to me but then we have songs like Lost and Found and Young and Dumb that I just really can't stand at all you know and so this album kind of makes harsh shifts for me I think that's the only place where I think the album title Headspace makes the most sense. Think about your own brain, or at least my own brain. I can't speak for you guys. But my own brain is sometimes a cluster of nonsense. I can't really put, piece it together. There's not really a lot of organization. It doesn't have a through line. My thoughts for sure don't have a through line. And so I think that's the only way I could possibly string together a theme here, is that this is meant to reflect their headspace. And that's why it's just a, uh, you know, a compilation. And in that case, it makes sense. 
Um, but I'm not going to push the theme too hard because I think it's kind of irrelevant here. I think what's important here is the talent of the band, what they're capable of, and what they're moving towards. I- I'm inclined to be a little more generous than John only because I think that they are, they have something here that can easily approach the upper echelon if they found a way to fine tune and focus it. So for me, it's a 3.8. It's a little bit above John's. It's not at the upper echelon. Ah, hell, a 3.85. I want to put that 8.5. It matters because it's not quite a 3.9 or a 4 because I still think that the glaring flaws are pretty glaring. But it's not a 3.8, a 3.7, or, or even a 3.5, because it's not average. This is definitely above average, and I need a nod to that with that, you know, 5 at the end. It's definitely on its way to doing something pretty unique, and I would actually follow up and listen to more of this band. I actually want to go listen to the Freshman album. Actually. Me too, I'm curious. Well, I'm glad you brought up the thing about Headspace. It, it begged a, a, a look at the album title, yeah. at least at some point. Um, and yeah, that's as good a theory as any. Yeah. To speak on a point that John started talking about, you know, the talent of the musicians in question. You used a lot of words like, they're on par. They're, uh, you know, they're holding it down. They're... Um, above average. Above average. Well, they... they They've they've at got worst, that they've got their position covered. They're covered. At worst, they're on par. Yeah. Well, I think all that's true. I think it, it there really is a lot to be said. That's why I said a lot of it at the get go for their musicianship, and this is always a struggle because I would like to think that very often the second you achieve musicianship, it opens doors for you like wildly, and I think it did open the door for them to create this album. That's about it, and that's. Uh, the problem that I have with that is that I am severely lacking moments, like musical moments. Uh, and I don't mean section changes like that. We get that. And I realize that at the end of the day, the beginning of this album, although it may have at first threatened, uh, that makes it sound like a negative, but it's really a positive. It, it proposed the idea that my tastes would be melded, that I would be in a serious conflict for what my tastes truly are. And in the end, I realized that I left being a lot more solidified with what my tastes are. I think that at the when this album finally finished, I really knew exactly what I liked on it and what I didn't. It was just blatantly obvious, and I think it was true from the get-go, because it didn't really do much to shock me beyond the first track. It was very just... Whenever they scream, not really digging it. Sometimes there are things that make it more palatable. I can't remember how many times did I use that over the course of this album. That's not a good thing in the end. That's not good. Palatable? So you basically that you have a thing that is consistently not my taste, and I usually don't like it in any way, shape, or form. And then just because there's something else to focus on, I can ignore it. That's not a positive, really. That's just better than a complete negative. Um... And as far as other moments, there are... The the musicianship is all there. Everything is just consistent. And that's the biggest compliment I have for this album, is overall, it is consistent. I I, I almost want to backtrack on saying there are no moments. There are moments. But they do get forgotten in the heap. They get lost. I, I, I... I think back to an overall sound that this album has, and I feel like I kind of have it all. I, I feel like I've taken this album all in. It's actually op- in opposition to some recent albums we had where we're like, no, I need to sit with this for a while. I need to sit with this for a while. And I am going to sit with this for a while, 
but I, at this particular moment, am not lost in the same way that I was kind of lost at the end of Amaterasu by Karima, where I was like, oh, I did not digest this fully because there's more to be digested. I think I did digest this album, and I think I digest digested it far too quickly. Um, that's problematic for me, which I guess brings me back to the other big point of discussion. John brought it up as the biggest point of discussion uh, that we had, and that was the singing. Yeah, there are two singers, and I kind of really like one. I kind of really don't like the way the other approaches it. Sometimes it's more apt or more applicable in parts, but otherwise it's just pivot back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The melody at times tries to shroud that, and I think I am definitely appreciative that they put in the work in those moments because that is very skillful composition. I do not think that drags me away from the aforementioned taste problem. I'm still left with basically the same exact thing, and that that's that's rather annoying to come across an album this, at this late stage in the game uh, that has really just completely polarized my tastes. Uh, I know that there are other albums out there that will do things differently. This is not the album that does that. Which leads me to the last point of, that I would like to bring up, and that is just the manner in which we approach this discussion tonight. I, I, I think this has been our hardest in a, in a while. Uh, maybe that was Mark's idea. Maybe that was his master plan. Because it, it, I, I think part of that is because of everything that I've just described. We were kind of really straining to find that extra thing as we went through the album. That's always tough for us. It was kind of also our, our struggle last week. So we actually, it's relatively similar to last week. We have two in a row there. Um, more unique revealing stuff as an album progresses gives us more to discuss. But I think that's our flaw. I don't think that's the artist's flaw. I think that's because we get accustomed to when albums reveal new things, we're like, oh, we're going we're gonna to let the album do the work for us right? And as it will reveal, we will sort of maintain interesting conversation. We, we weren't able to really do that so much last week. We weren't able to really do that so much tonight. I think the discussion itself was a little bit of a drag. Maybe a necessary drag, but a drag nonetheless. I do think that if I had to do these two albums over again, I would peer deeper into the individual melodies themselves, because I think that's where the meat was, and I think that's where we that's what we glossed over a little bit too much, is that component specifically specifically, and maybe also the rhythmic component alone that I think I would try to, to look deeper at as I do revisit this album. But the rest, unfortunately, the overall feel of it is, is kind of just going right over my head. As far as the best place to enjoy this album, I do have that decided, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's in the car when you're driving. Of course, you're driving in the car, and it's going fairly fast with someone there, so that way it doesn't. It is not the sole focus. A mild background music, or maybe even played at a bar. I think actually that's where this album will turn heads. Unfortunately, the deeper look is where you ha you struggle. Uh, so that puts me definitely firmly in the threes, but it puts me lower than you guys. I need the moments. I, I need more there. I need to be in the lower threes for that. This is a 3.25. But a, a full point ahead of last week, because this album absolutely had a mood, and it absolutely had talented consistency. And that is its biggest problem. Consistency, consistency, consistency. Sometimes what we look for is the problem. <laughs> That's the irony of this all. Uh, I guess that brings us to our topic. Um, I, I think in terms of, you know, the moments that I was looking for in this album, and when I did occasionally get them, there was always the question of how long does it stick around, how long does it last, and this was also kind of the problem last week, you know? 
When everything is compressed in that pop form, you only get a designated amount of it. I'm wondering exactly how much that hurts the album, that helps, hurts your listen of it. If there's something that you absolutely love, how long can you actually, even if it's something like your favorite sound in the world, how long is your threshold for it? Do you start not liking it after two minutes or so? After 30 seconds or so? Five seconds or so? What What is the threshold for your favorite thing, let alone your least favorite thing? I love bass and drums together. I love that. I love a rhythm section built around those two that ideas. That you can hear. <laughs> yeah, that I can hear. Um, and you could give me hours of that without stop. And I think that's my main reason for loving techno and its reliance on a bass-heavy rhythm section that emulates drums. And I think that's where my love for electronica really comes from. I think for me, the interesting thing is it depends. It's a case-by-case. Case. Like, if I find a pop song that's really infectious... I'll often want to listen to it over and over and over and over again because it's infectious. It's kind of stuck in my head. It's the whole earworm thing. And so there won't be really any fatigue for that. <laughs> However, if I'm listening to something on an album level, say something with a lot of screaming, and every song has screaming, and I don't really like the screaming <coughs> on every song. Um, well, see, but Disturbed, <laughs> Disturbed, Disturbed, he always did have this kind of preachy balance between, you know, singing and screaming. And a lot of his screaming was guttural nonsense. It wasn't trying to scream lyrics. So I wasn't trying to decipher anything. So I had less Down with the there. Sickness, half of the song is him. Down with the Sickness is probably one of their worst records. I'm talking now. about the specific song. Oh, the song. Well, yeah, sure. Of course. Well, that's up, what they're down with the sickness. But that's, the, the whole chorus is screaming. But their yeah. album since the first one was less of that. Yeah, and they're... Uh, but the, yeah, it's an anyway, accent piece or something. Yeah, the, the point I'm trying to make is, I think it depends on, on what it is, because there are certain sounds that do fatigue me. I mean, even when we did Chick Corea back in episode... Uh, 57. There were... Even though I thought a lot of the music was beautiful and well-crafted and, and masterful... I got fatigued with that because after instrumental after instrumental, fancy show-offy solo after fancy show-offy solo, I'm like, okay, this is really talented. Great. How, how, do, how many times do I say he's really talented? Do you think that's because you have less of a jazz background? Maybe. Like, is that a yeah. genre problem? Because then that, in that it case, it's, it's just the overall sound of a genre that can sometimes turn you off, which may very well have been my problem today. Well, I, I actually go through phases with that stuff, like, recently, and then about eight months ago, and then about eight months prior to that, and then maybe, like, nine or ten months prior to that. I go through my phases with um, folk pop and folk rock and stuff like that, where I listen to it for a while, maybe a month or two or three, and then I'm, I'm kind of, like, topped off for the next three quarters of a year, and I don't have to listen to it anymore, because mm. when I hear it anymore on top of that, and it's... Not just like folk rock. I have that same sort of a phase going on, and I'm sorry, Steve, it's done, but I'm not going to be listening to classical for the better part of a year now. What, kinda, because we did Chambers? No, but because I was listening to a lot of Bach not too long ago, and I kind of fell off the Bach, and I'm not going to want to go to classical. And this is just something that kind of hits my moods. There's very few genres if we're going to get down to that nitty-gritty, that I can listen to all the time. It's very interesting, because like I said, uh, actually during the episode Chambers uh, by Chili Gonzalez, I very often go through periods of time where I only listen to classical music. Like, yeah. it can be the only thing I listen to for a couple months. Um, 
And it is a consistency, but it wasn't always. It wasn't always. Like when I was, you know, when I was younger, I was, I was, when I was in high school, I was not always into classical music. It, it is definitely, it's been an acquired taste in my life. There are some classical pieces that I have liked since I was very little, um, and they were kind of like isolated things. But, you know, getting into other areas of a composer's work, looking into some of their lesser known stuff, there was stuff that was just harder for me to grasp at the time. And if something is hard to grasp initially, then your brain ironically starts compressing it into becoming something that is singular, that is a, a simple singular entity of a sound, a sound that is the genre. And it, it's not indicative of the work at all. So that's why I think there is a little bit of a catch-22 there. Like, you can, you can call it out until all of a sudden it becomes a defense. You know, and it's just, it, it matters time. Time can sometimes save things. I don't know if that's the case with today. Like I said, I'm pretty sure that the exact opposite is the case because sometimes you can surmise something and just compress something because you have digested it fully and there's nothing more to glean. Well, yeah, I think that's really the thing here. I think for me personally, I stop repeatedly listening to something if I feel like I've gleaned everything I can. I mean, a good example of listening to something on Endless Loop is when I first became obsessed with Hamilton, the musical. I Once I was able to get the soundtrack, I listened to it over and over again from beginning to end mm -hmm. without stop whenever I could. And it was because the way that those songs were written, there were a lot of little tricks and hidden tidbits of homages to other R&B songs, homages to other musicals, and so you could pick that stuff out. But after months and months of doing that, eventually I stopped listening to it all the time because I felt like I had gleaned everything I needed that was new from it. I still enjoyed it, but I didn't feel the need to constantly consume it to continually pick it apart and pull from it. Sure. I would say that I have a little bit of a different kind of uh, thing going on here because I won't listen to something on repeat the way I know you do I'll listen to an album like I'll listen to it and then the next day I'll listen to it and the next day I'll listen to it and then I'm like done for a while on that particular album or maybe that particular band or something like that except for like the exceptions like I might be off folk in a week or two or I might be off I might be on a, a different kind of electronica or something ambient or something like that in a week or two when I'm trying out a different genre or when I'm phasing into one of my older genres, like classic rock. But classic rock, uh, some breeds of folk and a lot of electronica are where I can find an album like, say, Abbey Road or Hazards of Love by the Decembris or uh, Bleak 182's uh, Mark Tom and Travis show, their old live album. I will never turn those albums off. They show up on my playlist from uh, either Spotify or my native music on my phone. I'm going to start them from the beginning. Like, I'll go back. Oh, that's a good song. Yeah, okay, we're starting all over. Beginning of that album. And we're going to listen to the whole darn thing because... Stuff like that, I'll never get tired of my favorites. All like, right. I, they might shift. I might say, well, now it's not number one anymore. Now it's number 10 or now it's number eight. But I don't think I've ever cut from my favorites list. I think I've only ever added to it. That is, uh, that's a pretty good assessment of my experience as well. I think, yeah, favorites never quite leave. But no. I, I do believe that I go through moods within those favorites. Yeah, I you would know? agree. I, I, I definitely can set things 
aside for a very long time and doesn't necessarily mean that I've exhausted it. You know, I played Invisits Conundrum by Godsticks into the ground. Yeah. Absolutely into the ground. Um, doesn't mean that I've gotten everything from it, but my moods have, you know, led me to just not put it on lately. But I will absolutely be going back, and I will be excited the second I turn it on again. Sure. Uh, which usually happens with works like that. I just want to, like, hone <coughs> this discussion a little closer, though, because it's not just, like, a band sound or a genre sound that I wanted to find. What about, like, a specific sound, like an instrument? You know, if you heard... Do you think that just... Whether you've heard many or not, whether you've heard entire piano albums on this podcast, we've only done one, and that was Yusa by Jan Tiersen. Um, but do you think just the idea of an entire piano album would turn you off? Piano, no, definitely not. But um, I get tired of brass section pretty quickly. I know that we. I don't, don't know if I've ever heard brass like by itself for that long of a stretch. Well, not necessarily brass by itself, but brass usage and saxophone in addition to brass, because I know it's a woodwind, even though it sounds like a brass and I'm always going to get those confused. But I will get tired of saxophone. Definitely saxophone. But in general, yeah, the brass section will wear me out after a while. It's just a little bit about it's just a specific sound of a trumpet or trombone that will get to me after a while. In more avant-garde jazz, that is absolutely true, but I don't think that's because of the sound of the instrument. I don't think it's because of the natural timbre of of a, a saxophone or, or of the or a trumpet, I guess, is one that's commonly used because that, trumpets can get loud. They can get loud and pitchy and screechy, and especially in avant-garde jazz. Uh, but I think it's more because of the music itself. I think it's because the music is rambly, and then you combine that with the instrument, and then, yeah, you have some nails on the chalkboard. At least the potential's there for some. I would approach <clears throat> your suggestion of piano and say no, only because pianos tend to be pretty versatile. Yes. I feel like, for me, it's more either repeated singer of the same style or their music. Like, Aerosmith is a band that I grew up really loving. I really love them. And, yeah. like, their greatest hit stuff, I'm still a huge fan of. But I can only take so much Steven Tyler because his voice is identical from track to track. There's not much variation, and I lose patience for it. And also, Joe Perry is a phenomenal guitarist. I know you're... But <laughs> his guitar licks are fairly similar from song to song, and eventually I get exhausted by <laughs> listening to it over and over again. Which you probably going to disagree yeah. with me here, but uh, yeah, I can only do one song of ACDC. I can't do two back to back. No, I disagree. Yeah, but he's but, wrong. No, can we call him wrong? Please he's, let me call well, him he's wrong. wrong but, okay, jeez. But wrong. no, I will concede that I know that all of their stuff sounds the same, but I just don't feel fatigue from it. I'm immune okay. to it. There you go. That's where lyrics just like hit me in the face, and then they keep hitting me, and he keeps hitting me, and I'm yeah. okay with that. Well, I purposely, you I, know, I, it's an abusive relationship, but we're okay with that. <laughs> I chose the piano because, of course, the piano. Um, I mean, shows it as a suggestion here because, yeah, it, because it is versatile. Because I feel like it's easier for someone to say that about many other instruments before they say that about the piano. The piano is one of the few instruments where it's, like, it is expected to play solo, you know? To play, like, you can go solo, you don't need anybody else. But yet with all these other instruments, yeah, it's kind of like, it would be a little weird for you to just stand there with an oboe, like, just by yourself, nothing else. Um, I know it's done, I'm sure it's done, but eh, not commonly. So I chose the piano of course because that's just it seems like if you have a threshold for the piano you should have a threshold for anything 
but that's probably not true, is it? Because clearly no. we all are just, we all have, the, you, we go into it with our unique set of things that have maybe affected us poorly in the past, and then all of a sudden it's just you take with it to the table whatever you have. I'm probably more in general of the opinion that most everything, most everything no matter what it is, whether it's an instrument or a type of rhythm or any musical component, period, I think needs to be shuffled up at some point. I think some things just, you'd be surprised if you heard it without anything else in the background that was at least changing your perception of it, or at least it, whether it was not changing by itself, then you probably would be dead in the water for very quickly. You know, the job of the musician is to keep it interesting, always. Which is a pretty lofty goal when you think about it. Yeah. Because they're not, uh, I could count on one hand probably the amount of artists that actually do accomplish that every time. Yeah, makes us seem like jerks, right? <clears throat> A little bit, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note and that stunning revel revelation, let's uh, move to John to figure out what we're doing next week. Next week, um, because I'm on a kick with electronica and I can't get uh. away from it. <laughs> we're doing industrial techno. Oh, that might actually be fun. But it's industrial techno from a pair of post-post-punkers. Post-post-punkers? They used oh, to be post-punkers, but now they're, they're industrial. They're post-post-punkers. They're post-post-punkers. Um, Are they unpunked at that point? They're still punked, but they're out of Copenhagen. Christian M. Dale and Simon Foreman with their new musical endeavor, Age Coin. It's actually their sophomore album called Performance. Hmm. I saw the name. I went, ooh, that's pretentious. <laughs> I love an idea like this is this is performance. Uh, You're just trying to find the word performance with industrial techno. Oh, I'm gonna love this. I mean, I guess this is as good a reason to chart uh, to choose an album as any. And I, it gets me to do another type of electronica, and I'm I, I want to do. I want to do a dozen different types of electronica this year. I'm actually very intrigued by this, but my tiredness can't express it properly. That's and fair. It's okay. All right, I do want to before we sign off. Uh, thank the mysterious Mark H again. We always appreciate when you and anyone listening write in. Of course, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the internets at large. Please uh, suggest albums for us to review. We love taking that on. And and do respond. You know, I, I, I would like to hear what the mysterious Mark H thinks of this album. And yes. Not just goading us into <laughs> who knows what. I, I, you know? I wouldn't put it past him because he always, he always has to point out our flaws after we do one of his you know, reviews. I we, we could probably stand to be corrected on a lot of things today, or at least supplemented vastly. I, I would appreciate supplementation yeah. for sure. Um, but uh, yes, please write us. Um, you can, of course, reach us at admin at crashcourse.com for questions, concerns, suggestions. Um, please, if you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, rate and review us. It just helps us to get featured and get out to the masses at large. And uh, thank you, as always. And we're not always this tired. <laughs> no, we're not. I'm, I'm fine. Let's go for another two hours. God, no. Oh, man. <laughs> um, on that horrifying notion. Let's leave the internet. Yes, and remember, music is life. And, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one -on -one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good.
If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashcords.com.